I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. Hello everyone, welcome to Kill the Cast. My name is Jerry, and as always, I am joined by the ever-quotable Jay. You know, there just wasn't very good quotes that I could mix for these two movies. Well, that's good. To make we'll, anything we'll just, good. We'll just move on. <laughs> uh, and the Silent Hill biker himself, Kenneth. Yep, here again. Woo! <laughs> and our special guest star, uh, Alex Edwards of the Married with Children podcast. God damn, Jerry and his wilderness bullshit. <laughs> oh, I got that uh, beard that puts you right on the razor's edge. Yeah, we finally got the sexy on the razor's and podcasting on here. <laughs> All right, guys. It is another Horror Coliseum episode. We are on to number two. The first round actually went to Friday the 13th. So now we are on the second round, which is Friday the 13th Part 2 versus A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. And the reason we wanted Alex on this show is because both of these movies are his favorite in the franchises. So that's, that's correct. That just doesn't make any sense. It does make sense because no. Friday 2 is my second favorite of the Friday series. And Nightmare 2 is the only one of the Nightmare series I like. So. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, part two, Friday. I mean, to me, that's like Halloween, like the first movie of your guy. Uh, but this one had to be part two. And um, Nightmare 2 is the only movie that I find interesting or where Freddy's actually scary and creepy. And it just has such a great tone to it. And it's a shame that this whole gay thing came out. And that's all people seem to focus on. And they kind of miss uh, the fun in this movie. Oh, so. I can't wait till we get to Nightmare because I found a whole new way to watch Nightmare 2 and I can't wait to share it with you. But is it standing on your head? No, it's not because I cannot stand is it on, on VHS. Head. No, I like watching it dick in hand. I, I just don't understand how you discover a new way to watch something. You see it with new eyes. <gasps> Did have, you rip out a homeless person's eyes? I have, <laughs> I have eyes that are a shade of every color and they're vigilant. Okay, so... With that being said, we're getting right into the nitty-gritty. No bullshit this time. Straight into it. We're going straight into Friday the 13th Part 2. We're starting with story, and uh, I'm not going to go first this time. I'm going to let Jay go first. Aw, you're so sweet, cutie pie. Just kidding. Kenneth, go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Aww. Go ahead, Jay. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> not today. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I gave the story an 8. Um... It was pretty good. The only thing that doesn't really make much sense is they never explain how Jason went from a child, if he was a child, why he was a child at the end of part one, and why he was an adult at the part beginning of part two. It was a hallucination. If it wasn't a hallucination, did he not die when he originally drowned and he lived in the woods? If he lived in the woods, why didn't he come and say, hey, mom, I'm right here. You don't have to kill everybody. Are we Instead, talking he waited, about a, like 30. a Nightmare on Elm Street movie or a Friday movie where we can't tell what's real and what's not? I'm Friday confused. the 13th. <laughs> Because it's like 30 at the beginning of part two and in not in Crystal Lake. He's in wherever the fuck. Uh, what's her name is living. But he was just a child at the end of part one. So who knows? Fair the time enough. Work. All right. Kenneth story. I gave it a six. OK. I mean, it was pretty much I, I mean, the way I looked at it, man, in my personal opinion, it was pretty much the same thing. People in the woods working on a camp, whatever. The only difference that you had this time around is that. 
you know, the whole the whole thing where Jason hung out in the woods for, you know, however long it was and saw his mom die. And I kind of agree with Jay on that. It's like, you know, he's watching his mom kill these people and all the rest of that stuff. If that were the case, you know, he just magically comes out of nowhere. It's never really explained. So I, I gave it a six. All right, Alex. <clears throat> uh, I gave it an eight. Uh, I agree that it's weird how they never really bridge the gap here between he I know it's really weird that like they even have Alice dream about saying like then he's still there and so like why would you put that in your movie if if you're trying to push the idea that he's still alive so it's kind of weird uh, and you're supposed to kind of forget about that but uh yeah it's weird they try to piece together the part one and see how that makes sense like when Brenda gets thrown through the window then Miss Voorhees drives down the hill that kind of would make you think they're working together or something but uh, I don't know if that's really true and why wouldn't he save her during that battle or whatever he's like 30 like you said uh, yeah so that that's like a pretty big flaw and stuff but if it kept things going then I'm okay with it so I give it an 8 alright I came in with the classic hand job that is a 7 uh, <laughs> as a continuation of the first movie it's great uh, it, it found a way to continue the series when really after watching the first one it would be really hard to do that but they end up doing it. It still has the same mystery feel, even if there isn't much of a mystery this time. While it doesn't do anything crazy, I do think it's solid. So it gets a 7 from me. So we now move into character development. Jay, lead us in. Why? What is this weird with me? Uh, 7. I gave it a 7. Um, let's see. What can I say? They was, you know, it had all the tropes that we've come to love from slashers as far as all the kids or counselors go. Um, and there wasn't, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't much. Jason was the most interesting character and we learn about him through exposition. <laughs> Besides that, it's all just pretty average. So nothing too hair, nothing too terrible, uh, but nothing like amazing. Fair enough. Kenneth. I gave it a six also. Because I, I really, I mean, the I characters. I said seven, Kenneth. I, well, I said six also for because I gave it a six and gave the story a six. Oh, I'm an idiot. Damn it. I'll go, I'll go to my corner. <laughs> but, I mean, the reason why I did is because I didn't even feel a whole lot of the classic tropes. I mean, Jenny was good. I liked, uh, I liked her. Um, I liked her character development. But we'll go, we'll get into the rest of it later. But, uh she uh she was good but everybody i didn't even get the classic tropes you know i like the fact that they used a, a a the guy in the wheelchair i liked him but overall i just felt like everybody else was just kind of numb I, I really didn't get a whole lot out of them but it was still enjoyable to watch so i gave it a six all right alex uh, i give it a nine i feel like i really know every single character and like what they're about and what they're into and it really like uh by the time you get from the beginning to the end, everything's pretty fleshed out with each person as much as it could be because you have to remember that there's like 13 people to kill. It's hard to do this with that many people in this short of time. But you really get a good feel for, I think, every single person who's pretty much a main character, even the wheelchair guy and the girl who wanted to have sex with him. So like when you even that far into it, you get some feel for who they are, then you're doing a pretty good job. So... Uh, yeah, give it a nine for all that. All right. I came in at a seven and I, while I actually agree with Alex, one of the things I had to take points off of is because a lot of these same characters 
we just had in the previous Friday the 13th movie. Our main girl is involved with the person running the camp. Again. We have the exact same Kevin Bacon couple. Again. We have the guy who's a pervert and flirting with the one chick. And that chick is the one that gets naked. Again. Like, so uh, for a lot of those characters, they were kind of the same characters. But I felt in this movie, they were actually done slightly better. Um, You... You get to know the characters really well through very natural dialogue. So while I don't feel like there's a lot of development character-wise, I feel like you do know all of them. You get them right away, and it's all Mm -hmm. done through natural dialogue, which to me is actually very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. I just just feel like they were just there. I didn't didn't really get that in, in, in a sense. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, I felt like that they just took people and stuck them there. And, you know, you, you had your, your ones that break out of the mold with like the wheelchair guy. And then you had Jenny and then, you know, and then, uh, the dude that wore the mask and he came out in the, uh, during the fireplace scene, that dude was kind of a little bit different than everybody else. But overall, you know what I'm saying? It was just kind of like. But I you don't had know. the, the brown yeah, but, but underwear right, girl right. who wants to bang a handicapped guy. That's original. Right. And, and Jeff yeah, and Sandra. That's what he said, wheelchair guy. That's it. You no, I'm him. talking about the chick who wears the brown underwear who wants to bang the wheelchair guy. She is original. Yeah. Terrible choice in underwear, but she's original. <laughs> it was the 80s. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't. I just didn't. I didn't relate. I, 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 it's hard for me to explain i just i just felt like that they just you know like it like if a, a fucking creative force just grabbed a bunch of people and just hey six is not a bad rating i mean i'm only one point above you that's so i mean i'm not like i don't think you have a bad rating at all um well god damn it maybe i want a bad rating okay, okay well you get a fa- uh, i give it now. a four well no you can't change your your things now all right well, so fuck. deal with it uh jay pacing and editing uh, I gave it a six. It took a while to get going. And then they just killed like everybody all at once is how I felt. Um, they had the opening scene and then it's just, it was boring to me until they got to more of the killing. I didn't, uh, I wasn't as enthralled with it as I was with the first one. Fair enough. Kenneth. I gave it a five. I didn't think the pacing was that great at all. You know, the, the, you know, I went into it and I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to give this a shot and, and, and I'm really going to think about it this time because the last time I watched it, I just watched it for the entertainment factor. So I was like, I'm really going to think about it. And you know what? Jay's right. The first, after, after you get past the, the ridiculous first 15 minutes of the movie that absolutely I just believe should not be there. Damn. From that point on until you see the first major kill, it's just like, okay, all right. Is something going to happen? Is something going to happen? Oh, we see a dead dog. Is something going to happen? You know? And uh, I, I, I completely agree with Jay. So that's the reason why I gave it an even lower rating than he did. All right. Alex? I gave it a nine. I think <laughs> the only thing lacking in this whole movie is probably the opening scene where they crowbarred Alice in there. Uh, and that paid off at least for the last 30 seconds or so. But... Other than that, uh, the whole like first act is great. It's all great character development. You really get a feel for the counselors, Jeff, Sandra, the the Ted dude, and and Jenny and Paul and everything. They're really setting up everything and just making it feel lived in. And it's just, it's just a great setup. And from there, I mean, 
there's not a dull moment really like not a scene is wasted you get little tidbits of jason and the cop in the woods and running around then all of a sudden once that drop of water hits that the top of that light you just know shit's gonna go down and then from there it's like the most epic you know chase scene in history so it's just for me it, it never is a dull moment after alice is out of the picture fair enough all right i gave it a six um the first 15 minutes of this movie this whole recap thing should be completely taken out of the movie it's completely unnecessary they just wanted to shoehorn in an alice connection and it's it's fucking awful um it's one of the biggest things i did usually when i watch this movie for entertainment i skip that completely uh there's just no reason for it um and once we get out of that i do i do enjoy the movie even though i do feel like the first hour of this movie is pretty slow it is mostly character development from characters that you don't need that much development for but it's enjoyable watching all of them i don't actually feel bored i feel like i'm watching a good uh summer camp movie um and then the last 26 of this movie 26 minutes of this movie is the greatest last 26 minutes in a slasher movie ever to me it is absolutely fantastic and if it wasn't hurt so bad by the fact that it's only 26 minutes long as a horrible first 15 minutes of the movie, then I would rate it stronger. But I, I I do understand where Jay and Kenneth are coming from, and I also understand where Alex is coming from. Uh, but I do feel like they, they did kind of mess up the middle of the movie by not extending that ending a little bit uh, earlier and then getting rid of that first part. But that that's what I think... Most people agree that the beginning does not need to be there. Even Alex, like, you you find reason for it, but do you think the movie would be better without it? Yeah, I used to skip it myself. And then I eventually began to just take it all in. I just started looking around our apartment and just taking that 80s thing. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a complete waste of time. And, I, I've you know, it's just one of those things... Uh, I think I don't think there's a single person who really thinks that's an essential part of the movie. And if everybody, but like I said, it has a pretty cool payoff, the ice pick in the head. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I don't think she needed to die to further this along or to, I don't know what really that did for the movie other than connect it to part one. So I guess they really just wanted to do that. So, you know, I've seen more people die by ice pick than people actually use an ice pick to pick ice. <laughs> I just thought that was weird. Uh, Jay, let's go into atmosphere. Uh, I gave it a six. Again, it was it's more of the same from the first. And there's what well, I felt like. Maybe it's just because I was mad at the rest of the movie that I'm being a little harsher on it. But I felt like there was so many false like scares in it that it just got uh, what, uh, what's the word excessive, and you stopped caring or worrying that something was going to happen because of how much. They were like, oh, oh, nope, okay, nothing. So I was just, uh, I was kind of disappointed with that. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a five. I mean, I really just didn't, there were very few parts in it that I thought were genuinely creepy. Um, you know, I didn't even really get a whole lot of that major summer camp vibe. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between getting a summer camp vibe and getting a vibe where you've got a bunch of, you know, young people going camping. 
You know what I'm saying? And that to me, that was more of what it was to me, if that makes sense. It didn't it didn't feel like a summer campy movie. It felt like a bunch of kids going and hanging out, you know, and going camping. And so, you know, that was the reason why it kind of it just it, it didn't give me any real creepiness or anything else like that. I mean, it just felt like people, you know, filming out in the woods or. And there really wasn't a whole lot of woods in this one. It was more of in the cabins and in the uh, the bar. It's you know it's strange to me that you say that because to me this is actually one of the more summer campy of the mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth because of how often Paul is actually talking about things they have to do for the camp, going over stuff for the camp, making them run and get ready for the camp. You know the one that I think. Uh, and I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, to me, the one that had the most summer six. camp vibe was part six. Yeah, that's no, well, everyone's I, wearing winter coats in that movie. I don't, I don't think that was really a summer camp vibe. That was and the it, nighttime. Isn't all like the wind blowing? Every it's like chilly out and stuff. I will yeah, say that you, six feels I, more colder than a lot of the other. Ones. Oh yeah, it's the coldest one to me. But I'll give you that. But also in that one, you've got kids. You know, you got a bunch of kids. Yeah, but they're all wearing sweaters. (laughs) Okay. So they're all wearing sweaters. They're still out camping. They're still going to a camp-type facility. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that was the one where I really got more of it just because of that, because there was actually kids. We'll talk about six when we get to it. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, It's an interesting point. Uh, Alex, atmosphere. Uh, Atmosphere, I gave it 10. Uh, I think it's really a perfect Friday the 13th in that way. The camera work was a little cleaner than part one, so it didn't have as gritty of a feeling. But you get like tons of that that like rustic thing with Jason's shack. You got the bar they were hanging out in. That's a, like a beautiful scene, beautiful setup. The Pakenak Lodge is just perfect. That whole house, the whole camp when they're running through the woods. Um, when the cop is in the woods chasing through Jason, when they're in the woods jogging, when they're driving through the woods and the trees in the road. And like, it's just really perfect. And when it starts raining and the lightning and everything, it's just amazing. And there's so many creepy scenes, like when Ginny's in Jason's shack and you could see him in the far distance running towards the shack and that window and her and the thinking she's going to like let go of the door and go through the window and he bursts out of there. It's just like, and him ripping through the car to get her. There's like so many creepy scenes, just really amazing. And that end jump, I mean, it's just the greatest atmosphere and it just, and the music just set the tone. It was just perfect. All right. I am also with Alex. I think it's a tit. And the last thing you said is the main reason why I think the music makes the atmosphere for this movie. The mm-hmm. music is just driving the entire time. It has sudden stops where it's almost like take your breath away. Um, it's just sudden jolts of stopping that really kind of keep me going for it. I think this movie has a wonderful summer camp fun tone to it that all of a sudden turns to this very, very dark stalking end. And the tension for this movie Especially in one of my favorite scenes when Ginny is telling Paul that there's someone in this room. Oh, is absolutely amazing to me. So much so that uh, I, I don't know how many of y'all listen to Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City. But there's a skit on there where they're uh, talking about breaking into someone's house. And they actually use, yo, there's someone in this room. There's mm-hmm. someone in this room. And it, it always makes me think of that scene in Friday the 13th Part 2. Um 
So for me, I actually think between the music going from a fun summer camp tone to a very dark and stalking tone just makes this one of the most atmospheric movies in the series, period. And just a side note, when I met Ginny in 2009, she actually signed my autograph, There's Someone in This Fucking Room. So that's how much, oh. that, that's how much I like that. Though. I wonder if I could get her to spell her name with a J, though. Because <laughs> I, I hate spelling fucking J names with a G. Hey, not Ginny. Hey, that's how Ginny. I spell my name. Your name is spelled with a J. Okay? <laughs> Your name is not Gason. It's Jason. Yeah. Okay? All right. Gason. Speaking of of Jay's sexual uh, depravity. Jay, scenery and set design. Uh, that I actually gave an eight. Uh, for as much as I felt the atmosphere was lacking, I felt the the scenery and the sets looked fine. Everything looked how it was supposed to look. There wasn't really anything that felt out of place. Um, anything, I'm not sure if they had to build any sets, but any sets that they built didn't look like it. And everything that took place in the woods and stuff was shot well enough that I think they pulled off the look they were going for. Just great. Sweet. Kenneth. The same. I gave it an eight, you know, uh, damn near for exactly the way Jay feels about it. But you know, uh, my favorite thing about it set design wise was the shack. I thought the shack looked great. I thought it definitely portrayed exactly what they were going for with it. Um, I thought the set design of the shrine that they did for, uh, for, uh, her head was great. I thought that looked good. Um, the, the area that they chose to shoot in, I thought was really, really cool. Um, you know, I liked the look of the lake. Um, you know, the, uh, the bar that they chose to, sh to do for that, I thought was cool. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of the set was the staircase that the guy in the wheelchair rolled down after he took the, uh, the machete to the face. Um, that was one of my favorite things about it. That was actually also one of my favorite things in the game. Um, you know, so set wise, I thought it was fantastic. I just don't think they utilized it well for the atmosphere in my in in my personal opinion. All but right. the set was awesome. Alex. Yeah, I mo mostly said all this in the atmosphere because I felt all these set pieces gave the atmosphere to the movie. So like Kenneth said, like that shrine is the greatest creation in the world. I mean, like uh, it just looks beautiful. It's perfect. It's I in the perfect people build that shrine in their house. I bet they do too. Some I've decapitated talk. my own mother just to recreate it. Yeah, <laughs> see, you know the hardest part was uh, getting the I candles. Mean, she's still alive. <laughs> she's still talking. Uh, yeah, so it's like it's just uh, perfection. So it gets a ten along with atmosphere. Because I mean, all those all those set pieces really just it flowed so perfectly and it felt so natural. And it really felt lived in again, and um, every I think it was utilized just perfectly. Uh, they used it all just enough. Like, you want a little more of each thing, but they can't do that to you, because that's what keeps you coming back, to keep rewatching. so it's perfect. That's that's an interesting way to end that. Uh, I gave it an 8 also, even though Alex is... If I could change my score, I think Alex would have just talked me up. Uh, <laughs> the camp, of course, looks great. Uh, the bar has an arcade in it, so that automatically is great in my book. <laughs> and Jason's shack is straight up a show stealer. It's a love yeah. shack. Baby uh, love shack. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I won't even talk much on that. I gave it an eight. All right, let's move into acting. Jay. Acting. Uh, acting, I gave an eight. Again, regardless of how I feel about the characters and their repetition from the first one, uh, 
the actors all did a fine job. Um, everyone played off their personalities the way that I felt, you know, felt natural and organic. Um, the guy that played Jason's body was awesome. Uh, yeah, there's really not much more to say. Everyone did a great job. Fair enough. Kenneth. I gave it a seven. I mean, it was pretty good. You know, classic hand job. I mean, I really liked, uh, again, I liked the chick that played Jenny. I think she did a really good job. And then, uh, what was, what was her boyfriend's name? Paul. Paul. I have a hard time remembering these names, but, uh, I liked Paul. I liked, um, you know, there were things of, about some of the others, like the one that was the classic couple that, uh, you know, where the chick kept wanting to go back to the camp blood, you know, them two, I was just like, eh, you know what I'm saying? There were moments where I was like, uh, you know, and then the, uh, the one that's supposed to be the, uh, the sexy guy that got hung up in the tree, the one that was kind of the pervy one. Yeah. He, uh, I, I really didn't care for his, um, uh, you know, the, the naked chick, she was all right. But uh, the ones that really, really got me, that got me the score up to the seven was Jenny and Paul. I, I, I really enjoyed theirs. theirs. And then they, obviously the dude in the wheelchair, he was cool. All right, Alex. Yeah, I pretty much echo with what Kenneth said. I gave it a uh, an eight. And uh, for pretty much the same reasons, there were a couple spotty moments with Jeff and Sandra. And definitely... Uh, I think his name is uh, Mark, maybe? The guy with the slingshot? Um, no, Mark is the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, okay. Well, then Scott, Scott. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I see what he means, that it seems like a little shady acting or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it didn't really affect anything. Ginny is just such an outstanding leading lady for a movie like this. And Paul played it really well. And uh, the cop gave a really good effort. And uh, the the goofball guy really made me feel like that's just who he is. So I think I think everybody did a pretty standout job, and they all did a uh, pretty good for a 1981 horror movie. So eight. Gotcha. I'm also an eight. While there's no like breathtaking performances in this movie, there's also nothing that's so bad it takes you out of movie. And actually, one of the things I want to hit on is how natural most of the acting is in this movie. It makes me feel like these are real people. Um, and there, there is something to say for acting that doesn't take you out of the movie for good or bad. It really helps with the atmosphere of the movie. So I gave it a solid eight because of how natural all the acting felt in this movie. I'll give you a solid eight. Uh, you're probably. I'll give you a solid three and a half. <laughs> I, I've got I've got a, a minute worth of dick, and it still ain't equal in three inches. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right let's go into special effects jay now this i liked i like the special effects i gave it an eight um there wasn't really anything that looked rough to me uh the ice pick of the head i mean this is kind of gonna cross over with kills and gore but the ice pick in the head was a good effect uh jason's makeup at the end uh when he finally gets his sack removed is really good. It looks exactly how you would expect him to look based on how he looked at the end of the first one. Um, but yeah, everything was, I think everything that they attempted was executed really well. All right. Kenneth. I gave it an eight. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, the same thing, you know, Jason's makeup looked real good. I like that. Um, you know, uh, the, the head, you know, Jason's mom's head. I thought that looked really, really cool. Um, I'm glad they didn't do that whole light up eyes at the end of it thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. 
And, you know, for the most part, everything else did did really well. I wish we could have seen more of certain things, you know, like I wish we could have got a little bit more of when the spear goes through them because you really don't see a whole lot other than the, the, the head of it coming through the bottom of the bed. Uh, well, uh, just watch Bay of Blood. That's where they stole it from. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like that. You know what I'm saying? And I wish we could have seen a little bit more of other things. Um, I thought, dude, that got killed in the wheelchair. I thought I liked that. I liked the fact that the machete was backwards. Um, it was backwards, and then well, it was backwards when dude got his throat slit when he was hanging upside down too. Wasn't so, it? for the record, not backwards. That is how the that blade is supposed to be. But since most people know machetes the other way, um, that's how they know it. But that kind of machete is done that way because it's easier to actually chop through crops when your machete is done like that. So oh, that is okay, actually cool. a proper blade. And yes, I did Google that. Cool. Not going well, like to cool. any knowledge on that. Either way, it looked cool. Um, all so. right, Alex. Yeah. Uh, echo these guys. I give it an eight. Um, special effects. You know, this is the movie that's famous for, Tom Savini not doing this one. Instead, he was working on um, what's it called? Uh, the burning. burning. The burning. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, you know, I bad asked him move. about it. Yeah, bad move. Uh, it was a waste of time. So Agreed. it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, and then you got um, this movie was also cut to hell. This like this movie suffered really bad with the MPAA because of what the first one kind of kickstart. So they really went after this uh, for revenge. And despite that, I mean, it's, it's all great. Like just everything, the way everything looked, Jason looked epic. The mom looked epic. Uh, and that kill going down the stairs, you know, it took a lot to make that wheelchair not roll over and just flip and stuff and just have it like on its wheels the whole time it's going down. Everything just looked amazing. Um, and you know, the gore looked fine. It was just a shame. Everything was cut to hell. Like, I don't think it had much room for mistake, honestly, you know, it was cut so, so severely that I don't, I don't think anything would have stood out if it was wrong anyway. So yeah, eight, I gave it a seven because to me, nothing does stand out. Uh, while everything is good, I don't feel like there was any risk taken in this movie. Um, and it may have been because they, they might have felt like the MPA was going to tackle them, but I don't think they really started worrying about that until after this movie. I think this is the movie that made them feel like they had to worry about it while making it. Um, so because of that, uh, I don't like how Jason looks under the sack. Keep the sack on the entire time. I don't like the, the, the hillbilly looking mongoloid thing. I just don't, I like the sack way better. Uh, his mom head looks great, um, but I just don't feel like they did any. They, they didn't take any risk in this movie for the effects. So, with that being said, what are effects without kills and gore? Jay, go ahead. Uh, this one I gave a seven, uh, like for the reasons that you kind of just said. There wasn't anything really spectacular in that department. The most notable one of the movie is obviously the wheelchair and. That was just because the dude was in a wheelchair. And then he goes to, like, he gets hit fucking machete in the face when he thought he was going to get a blowjob, and then he falls down the stairs dead. So that's that's no good. That sucks. Um, but that's probably the most notable uh, notable kill in the movie. The rest of them were okay, but nothing that really gets my kill boner going. Fair enough, Kenneth. 
Um, I gave it a seven, echoing Jay. I mean, I felt the same way. I mean, it's like, even though the kills were decent, you know, for the most part, I also, same thing you said, man. I don't feel like there was really any major imagination going into this. They were decent. They were cool. They were classic. Um, and, and agreeing completely with Jay, the look, that was actually probably one of my favorite kills was when, you know, dude goes down the, uh, goes down the stairs. But other than that, I mean, everything else was pretty, was pretty straightforward. I mean, it was just like, it, I, I just felt it was a little bit weak, but at the same time, it was still, you know, it still furthered the movie. So I gave it a seven. Gotcha, Alex. I give the kills a 10. Uh, I <laughs> felt they were like all like, although like I, I wasn't really looking for insanely creative or anything like that. It's 1981. Slashers are fairly new at this point. And every kill is pretty memorable. The ice pick in the head, machete down the stairs, double impalement, Hank guy hanging upside down, gets his throat cut. Uh, the only, especially like the girl with the brown underwear, like the most, that's like one of the most frightening scenes ever when she goes up to see what's wrong with Jeff and Sandra and Jason's under the sheets. That's fucking terrifying. Like imagine her and she's paralyzed with fear. And although the kill is not insanely epic, but when he's walking over to her and that like little thing on his thumb and he's just slowly going over and he stabs her, like just little things like that is just epic in itself just for how it pulls you into the movie. And the last uh, kill, if you want to call it jumping through the window, that was like a quote unquote kill. Um, And then I guess the only off screen kill was the Terry, the hot naked girl where she just screams. She turns around and screams because Jason, right there like technically if you believe that paul was killed his death would be off screen uh right yeah but like uh even like terry's off-screen kill is is pretty great because you know she's so like she's freaking out seeing a guy hang upside turn around and oh my god what the fuck and then she's dead so like and then she's laying next to the mom's head shrine thing anyway so that has its own little thing. So, yeah, uh, I just loved everything. Like I said, I just wish they weren't cut like they were, but the kills are all iconic to me. Ten. So, I'm going with a seven. This is Handjob City over here. Uh, <laughs> while the Mark yeah. kill is one of the best kills in the entire franchise, most of the kills are bland. But I will say this. There is something to say about uh, how... N- realistic all the kills are in this movie except for crazy ralph because there's just well crazy ralph's kill mark's kill there's no way mark did not see him unless uh jason has incredible jump game and jumped like up onto the patio out of nowhere but here's the thing there's no he would have been like even if he was like holding onto the rail and crouching down I I, I I don't know if Mark wouldn't have seen him. This is a trained athlete. So uh, someone who's got the determination to not get his life ruined by a wheelchair, he's also not the kind of guy that's going to get like completely distracted by pussy. He's got his wow. eye on, on life. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes I kind of think about that, but then I go, Jerry, the Crazy Ralph one is way worse. Just worry about that one. Um... The the off-screen kill for the one chick I really don't like, especially when you see her later in the shack and she's just laying there, so you have no idea how she was killed. While the reaction to her about to be killed was good, it's not a kill to me. It's it's just not. Um, 
there are what nine kills in this game or in this movie i guess 10 <laughs> if you consider if you think paul died there's 10 uh but to me two only two of the kills are actually good with that being mark and then the bay of blood uh death which you know great kill i hate that it got censored i also hate that we were supposed to get a nude scene right there but it was edited out because turns out the chick was actually underage and she had lied. No. Yeah. Uh, she had great tits, though. She does. You can see it in other movies. Uh, you can see her topless in other movies. But unfortunately, she was actually like 17 when this was being filmed. So they they had to take it out because you can only film underage if uh, it is enough of an artistic thing to merit it. And the parents like have Sal. to sign off on it. Uh, like Sal, like American Beauty, uh, Blue that one Blue Lagoon, that uh, Romeo and Juliet movie from like the '60s, I think it was, late yeah. '60s. Uh, it has to be pretty artistic for it to count, and it just doesn't here. So, I wish they would have done more. But the reason I at least give it a seven is because when I think of Sackhead Jason, all of these kills seem 100% in the realm of possibility for him to pull off. So I think that's important. That's fair. Oh. That's a good point. All right. Monster Killer, Jay, what do you think? Jay gave the Monster Killer a seven. Um, they kind of recycled everything they did with Mrs. Voorhees, with like showing the feet, showing the hands, and it got, I don't know, it just wasn't, it wasn't as exciting. I love his overall design, like when we finally get to see him with the sack on and the one hole cut out for his eye hole and i think the overall design is great i think that because there wasn't really that big of a they should have gotten rid of any any attempt to make a mystery out of who the killer was and gave us more of sackhead jason um and so that's why i kind of gave it a seven it didn't score higher for me I, f I can't disagree with wanting more sackhead jason kenneth what do you think I gave, I mean, I gave this one an eight. I gave the monster an eight. I mean, I thought it was all right. Um, I agree with y'all. I wish we had uh, more Sackhead Jason. I liked him. I liked the look of him. I think it kept it creepy. Um, but at the same time, to further it along, man, I mean, at some point in time, somebody was going to have to show what his face looked like. But it, I honestly think that if if it had waited until, like, way further along in the series, like, if it hadn't happened, until seven, I think that it would have been like a, one of those big major, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, his face finally gets shown. I think if they, not till seven, four. I think if they would have waited till four, it would have been great. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they show his face at the end of four. and They then, show uh, his face at the end of three also. Did they really? And yeah. Oh and yeah, I that's hate, right. They show it at the end of every single one. Yeah, I hate yeah. it in two. I hate it in three. I do like it in part four because it works with how the, how it ends, but that's for another time. But so. yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, Jason, the, 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 I think, I think he's really, really good. That's the reason why I gave it an eight, but I, in this one, I don't think, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I'm trying to think of the best way to, the best way to put it, the reason why he didn't get like a got get even higher than that, like a nine or a ten, even though he's one of the classics and one of our favorites. I don't know. In this one, it may have been the fact that they took the sack off his head at the end of it, or I don't know. I just didn't feel 
Jason as menacing, in my opinion, in this one as he is in others. All right. Alex. Uh, I gave it a 10. Saw that uh, coming. Yeah, this is <laughs> iconic amazingness. This is Jason Voorhees. It's the first time we ever see him. It's He's one of the rare uh, monster killers where there's an evolution to him, which is uh, pretty iconic. I mean... It's so great that he didn't have the the commercialized hockey mask because now you're seeing like you're out, you're in the beginning like before it all became a whole fucking circus you know like and the the most amazing it's the creepiest thing like even him as a shadow is amazing when you all you see is his shadow against the Pakenak Lodge um, there's so much vulnerability there's so much animalistic qualities he doesn't even seem like a human being under there a lot of times he's like an animal like li- literally and one of the scenes you really feel that way is when like Ginny's going after him with the chainsaw and stuff and and when he's going into the car and when he's just he's there's just so many things and like where he lives is just so like fucking like raw and real and there's like that's the greatest thing about him in this movie is how real he is and it's funny because as animalistic as is he's never been more human and real and that's you know one of the things you touched on like these are all kills that he could have pulled off and and that's why i don't understand why anyone would look for a creative kill i mean like i said this isn't some commercialized circus yet um, you know, of course, they're supposed to be fun and interesting and exciting kills to look at. But at, at this point, you want something realistic and raw. And that's you what can they do realistic and be interesting, though. I mean, that's that's kind of my qualifier for any slasher when I not when I'm scoring it the way we are here. But when I'm trying to watch a slasher, my entertainment value comes from the kills. I could give a shit if the acting is good. I could give a shit if the plot makes sense. As long as the kills are fun to watch. And so I, I appreciate that the realism is there, but I think you can be realistic and creative. I don't, I don't see why rolling down the stairs with a machete in your face or double impalements or hanging upside down from a tree and getting your throat cut or whatever, or the thing around the barbed wire around your throat around a tree. I don't see why it's not really creative. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I get, but it's, everyone's into something different, you know, like to me, like they didn't make any missteps with any of those things. That's all. Well, I I mean, if you think, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I just, I think I can agree with both of you. Um, Cause when I think of it, and I'm sure Kenneth was probably actually going to bring up this exact point for 1981, these kills work completely especially for being creative because uh, it's still so early on in the genre. And unless you were watching early giallos, you probably weren't getting any kind of crazy kills anyway. Yeah. Like Halloween doesn't have any creative kills, but nobody has ever said that. I don't really like like the first Halloween. (laughs) Oh, well, I guess someone said that, but like, I don't like it. My favorite kill in the first Halloween is when he pins the dude to the wall. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. it, It wasn't my favorite either. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you're just choking a guy and then stabbing him, essentially, and he stays on the wall. So it's like it's I guess that's creative, but it's like it's no less creative than slamming a machete in a guy's head. and He rolls down the stairs. Hold on. On that Halloween scene, the only reason people still talk about the Halloween scene is because of the Michael Myers head tilt that held it. Ted, fuck head tilt would not have been in there. <laughs> no one would talk about that scene, period. 
Right. I just well, like the image of a dude being stabbed and stuck to a wall. Actually, until you said something, I didn't even think about the head tilt, tell you the truth. Oh, wow. Well, you know what, everyone? I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but actually, what you, Jerry, you're right. That's kind of what I was going to say. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, the difficulty here is, is that when you're looking at it from my perspective or Jay's perspective or something like that, it's very difficult to not go into the fact that we are also tainted by hundreds of other movies. And so it trying, I, I, I try my best to try to set myself in that time period for when the movie come out. Cause I have yeah, utilized perspective. That. You have to right, keep it exactly. perspective. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's also very difficult. So in a, if, if we were to, if we were to be having a conversation about that specifically, the comparison between when it came out then and what effect that it had on the genre and whatnot, then that would be a completely different conversation, but just rating the kills based on all the knowledge that we have of other slashers, Hence the reason why I gave it a uh, gave it a smaller one, but you know, again, you're right. It's all about perspective and where the conversation's going at the time. You know, you look at it from the perspective of that type of conversation versus the way that you know me myself and and you know I don't want to be completely speaking for Jay, but possibly for Jay, you know, where it's hard to not get all the fuzz of everything else because you've seen so many. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I want to also add that, like I said earlier, and Alex agreed with me, um, there is something to say about the the ability for the killer. That the killer can pull off all of these kills without me going, no fucking way, it is something to be said. for like it, Because that helps you not get taken out of the movie. If you can believe that the killer can pull off all of these kills... It keeps you into the movie, and I think because Alex and I both kind of see eye to eye on that, I think that's one of the reasons why him and I rate the atmosphere so high. We are never taken out of this movie because of things like the kills being so natural. I I do agree with Alex that I don't, I should not expect Sackhead Jason to be doing any kind of creative kills because he's a fucking retard who lives in a fucking shack in the woods. Pretty much. Yeah. See, but I, I, but let me just say, I do agree with Jay and Kenneth that when I watch a slasher movie, part of me watches it because I want interesting and unique kills. So I do completely get that side of it. Uh, Kenneth, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, you know, and, and what y'all are saying is, is is definitely definitely has a huge amount of merit because, you know, you look at the difference between somebody getting hung upside down in a hunting trap and his throat slit versus... You know, Jason ramming his ramming his fist through somebody's chest and pushing their heart out of their spine. You know, oh, I see. I wasn't expecting that because he's still human, Jason. But you get what I'm saying. I mean, and I get, that's the reason why I get where they're coming from on the realism of it, which is which makes it more creepy and whatnot. But at the same time, I mean, you know, when 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 Hawes got his heart through his fucking back, that was pretty damn badass. So. Yeah, so that's a point where the creativity is so high that it doesn't matter if it's realistic or not because you go for the creativity. And for certain movies, that works. And then and for certain people, and then I just the difference between... There's two ways to look at the kills in this movie. The creative way and how entertained they, they are or the realistic way 
and how it works for the killer and the atmosphere in this movie. And this is a clear thing where we are all 50-50. Two of us lean one way, two of us lean the other way. But we can at least, we can all agree each side holds merits depending on how you want to watch the movie. Oh, absolutely. And that's very important. Uh, Alex, real quick, what did you, you, okay, you rated Monster Killer 10, just so I can bring everything back, uh, so it's to me now. I gave it a 9, because Sackhead Jason is amazing, he creeps me the fuck out, and I would have given him a 10 if they never would have taken his mask off. Um, so, (laughs) we move on. Uh, oh, so I just, I, okay, we don't, nobody has to comment on it, but I just wanna, so you had said that it makes sense that he wouldn't be able to do certain things because he's retarded, yada, yada, yada. Um, one of the things I love so much about the remake is if you watch the background, you see all the trophies he got while he was at camp, like archery trophies and shit like that, which explains why he's such a good killer for the remake anyway. It's just a side Agreed. note I wanted to throw out there. Keep that in mind to bring that up when we do the remakes because that is a very good point. And I'll probably, and I'll keep that in mind when I rewatch it. Yeah, me um, too. But, Jay, hero, go. Uh, sorry. Where is it? There it is. Uh, hero is a six. Um, it just, I just didn't care. I didn't, it, like, this is one of those movies where I just want Jason to murder everybody. I wasn't worried for them. Um, I, I liked that she was able to figure out to put on the sweater and try and trick Jason that way. I thought that was pretty smart. I thought that was a, a nice little, uh, nice little thing in there. But overall, I could just I could care less about uh, about them as the person who survives. All right, apathy is is everywhere. Kenneth, go ahead. I gave her an eight. I thought Jenny was great. You know, the only reason why she didn't get a higher score at nine or ten is because she fucked Paul. And I and I and if I'm not mistaken, I sent a, a fucking uh, text message to you and Alex about that. She should have died, but because she fucked Paul. But damn, I still uh, maintain that Alice fucked uh, mustache guy in the first movie alright I don't think she fucked him in the movie but I think they have fucked yeah but see damn Jenny fucks Paul in the movie like right after yeah. fucking crazy Ralph well she actually shit. didn't you know she because didn't? Uh, the whole thing like just that whole thing she wrote on the mirror or he wrote on the mirror Paul wrote with her lipstick or whatever uh, that's a tie into what he said earlier he goes uh for all you girls on your menstrual period or whatever, um, be clean because uh, for because bears or something. So when he when she pulls him in, turns out he's not having sex at night, and you know that because he said beware of bears because she was on her period. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. So okay. she could have lived on that logic. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But she probably still fucking let him stick his dick in her mouth or something. Probably. Like that. Right. So, you know, so either way, but otherwise I thought she was great. I, I mean, I, she was very, very, she was definitely strong. I mean, she was strong from the get. She wasn't one of those that was just like, you know, she seemed weak at the beginning and then she evolved into strong. She was strong from the get go. You know, she had that wisecracking uh, attitude that started from the moment that she came in. You know, and she was strong the whole way through the movie. And then the, the, you know, the, the what they were saying about the sweater when she put the sweater on and stuff like that. I thought that was fucking genius. I thought that was brilliant. And then on top of that, that showed, you know, how much, you know, just the level of balls that she had to put herself in a position like that. Because there was still, even though she was trying to outwit Jason, she's still putting herself in a vulnerable position. 
You know what I'm saying? Because it was like, okay, I'm trying to get away, but at the same time, I am, you know, making myself vulnerable to expose his vulnerability, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that was the reason why, I mean, I think Jenny's great. And then on top of that, I mean, you know, she, she really took him for a run for his money the whole way through. I thought it was really good. I like her. Yeah. I, before I move on to Alex, I want to say something real quick. Uh, I do not believe Jason kills people because they have sex. I believe his mother did, but he does not. He just happens to kill people who are fucking because they are easy targets and he wants to kill uh, if you're in his territory or you just even around him in general. Um, so I do not believe in the whole logic that if someone has sex in the movie, they're guaranteed to die. I just believe that people who are having sex in these movies are less attentive to their surroundings and are easy pickings for Jason. I don't know about uh, anybody else, but when I'm fucking, I still got my gun right next to me. Okay, <laughs> my gun is inside the girl uh, because that's what I'm into. I, yeah, I, I've got a I've got a foil Charizard Pokemon card right next to me uh, for my protection. Um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Just something to chew on. I always see. thought it was just a horror movie trope. I didn't think it was something that people thought Jason actually kept in mind. I think it's a horror movie trope in the fact that when people make a horror movie, the two things that they really include in it is death and sex. And so it kind of became a trope that the fan base created to try to canonize the final girl. Mm. And I I think that's something completely fan made and that it's not in these movies at all. Or I'm not in these movies early on. Later on is a different... completely different story because even if you go to Halloween Lori was trying to get laid her friends were trying to help her get laid they talk about it multiple times in the movie it's not as if she wasn't trying to get laid she just hadn't happened to get laid yet but prom season was still coming so I think that's something that the fan base did to canonize the final girls to to put them on a pillar above everything else. Um, and I, 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 it goes along it. That's a whole different diatribe I could get on because <laughs> later, cause it doesn't belong here. Cause I might actually offend cer- a certain part of the fan base. So, uh, Alex hero, uh, this, I give her a 10. Uh, Ginny is the absolute greatest final girl of any Friday the 13th. And there, that is, a. Uh, pretty amazing list considering like everybody has a favorite uh big time and um yeah uh she i have met over about 45 people from all the friday 13th movies and she is the only person i've ever been awestruck like i literally had like a 15 to 20 minute conversation with her and i just kept getting lost in the idea that i'm standing in front of Ginny. like it all just kept coming back to me because she kind of looks the same today or at least did in 2009 and um, it was just to hear her voice and look at her. It was just really something else. And it, no, no one has ever affected me that way. And she just she just has this quality about her that is just outstanding. And she looks perfect in every phase of um, what she's going through in this movie uh, with the sweater on her hair when she's holding the, the, the pitchfork thing before when she thinks Jason's going to come in that one door and he comes through the back. Um, it's just pretty amazing. The things that she put him through, like Kenneth said, 
really amazing for a chick, especially. And uh, well, even though it becomes like the normal thing, but um, yeah, I mean, this is just the perfect final girl, the greatest Friday 13th final girl ever. And I think she creates the benchmark for what they all have to live up to. And none of them ever did. And she has ever, because a lot of people kind of cite Alice as not having um, much uh, presence or star quality or whatever it is. Uh, and she's just sort of the one who survived in part one. Well, Ginny is everything but that. So I give her an absolute 10. This is as good as it gets. I, I completely agree with that Alice statement. Um but I give Ginny a 9. She is one of the most likable final girls there is. She is realistically smart, realistically funny, and realistically a good person. She isn't some shy virgin. She takes charge. And she, I agree. She is probably the best in the series. The only reason I can't give her a name is because I have to stick to my guns on this whole spelling of her name thing. I know that's technically her <laughs> parents' fault. But I don't give a shit. Spell your name with a fucking... In my notes, her name is spelled with a J. Okay? I don't give a shit. She gets a nine because of that. Fucking... She can go legally change her name if she wants to. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, score and soundtrack. J. J gave it a seven. J feels like the, uh, the music fit all the scenarios just fine. But that there were no individual pieces of music that really stuck out in my head. Um... And there's really not much of a soundtrack, so to speak. So I just I gave it a seven for that reason. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a nine. I think uh, I think it was great. I think the utilization of everything, um, where that that has become the staples and foundations uh, of this series, were awesome. Um, I think it the the music and everything definitely helped further along the story. It 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 it. To me, I think that was probably, you know, going back to the atmosphere, one of the creepiest things about it. But the score itself, to me, was the best part. And so that was the reason why it got a high rating versus the atmosphere itself. Um, so I think everything put together, all, all said and done, I thought it was great. All right, Alex. Uh, I gave the score a 10. And it's funny because Jay mentioned there's no standout moments, and I'm glad he said that because it made me think of the one that is definitely standout. That's just for me. I don't really have an attachment. It's hard for me to get attached to scores. Uh, they all sound it's they all sound similar to me, and that may just be something with my brain. So don't like take this as a I oh, just no. hate the music. I'm just for me, it's hard for there's like even even in my favorite movie, The Matrix, the music used doesn't really like I know when the cues are coming, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't do, do much for me. I didn't even know there was music in the Matrix. It's probably because I fall asleep through that boring <laughs> piece of shit. So much. <laughs> I'm wait, sorry, I'm wait, sorry. wait until we do the Matrix and Jerry hates uh, action. All right, yeah. Alex, uh, continue. The standout scene was to me when the whole shack thing, like when Jason's bursting through, when she's fixing her hair, turns around. It's like this eerie, creepy, like. Like, you know, I'm not going to do it, but like this whistling kind of like eerie sound. And it sounds like it's it's just so perfect for this. Like and literally, I obviously the not that I'm we're supposed to be comparing these to part one or anything, but like it, it is very derivative, obviously, and it's supposed to be of part one. But it's so original. Like, it really doesn't it doesn't reuse anything in any kind of way where it feels like, oh, God, just that again. You can just tell it's the same guy, but he I, really I tailored it. Yeah, everything they use from part one, they use it in a way that improves on it. Mm -hmm. 
And it's so tailored to this movie. So it adds so much to the atmosphere. And it's just... I, I couldn't imagine what else would be here, so I, I had to give it a 10. Yeah, I actually have to completely agree with Alex. I give it a 10. Uh, you can pretty much take everything he just said, and one of the reasons I give it a, a 10 is be, is because of how it affects the atmosphere. Those sudden music cue stops just blow me away. Um, so I really... I Alex really set it all for me, uh, so I just have to come in with a, with a 10 also. Um, Jay... We are down to the final four. Scare factor. Go. Uh, seven. There was, it was, the the stuff with Jason was creepy enough. Um, this one's always one of the hardest things to judge for me because I just don't, I don't feel like I experience fear when I'm watching any of these movies. I've said this numerous times in YouTube and on the show, but I experience almost every other emotion, but I just am never scared by these movies. So this one's hard. These are hard for me to judge. Um, but I felt like the creepiness yeah. was decent enough that it wasn't, that it doesn't lower a warrant. Does it, uh, my brain I, doesn't warrant a lower score, but I didn't think there was anything crazy that would warrant a higher score either. Yeah. I kind of, because of how you described how you deal, how, how you see fear in, in scariness of these movies, uh, I've kind of always given you a pass because I feel you will judge it fairly, even though you, it doesn't really scare you. Uh, I, I always will say this as a reviewer, you know, well enough that even though it does not affect you, it can affect others. So you do judge it properly. And that, that's something that I, I would, if I, if I felt like clapping on a podcast, I would give you, like, I'll give you a silent golf clap Aww. Uh, because I, you can admit that though it does not affect you, you can see how it would affect others. And that's how you score it. instead of going, didn't scare me. It sucked. Yes, yeah, I'm making fun I, of people I in Facebook hate groups. I that so much. I know. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we'll move on to Kenneth. Kenneth, go ahead. I gave it a six. I mean, and I think that the the reason why I, had, why I didn't give it a bigger score is because I just, I don't know. I didn't, I can see where other people would find it scary, but at the same time, I didn't. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. The reason why I didn't find it as scary. And I think it's just because I'm more jaded than anything else when it comes to this, you know, and yeah, I, I got to Kenneth. I'm surprised. I, I just didn't. I mean, I, and, and the thing about it was, is I sat there and when I was thinking about my score, I was thinking about the fact that there were moments that were, that were, you know, what it was like, what it would be like to be in that situation and stuff like that. And then at the same time, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about other aspects of it and putting it back and forth and back and forth. And I just did not find it that scary. You know what I'm saying? I found it, like I said, I'm having a hard time explaining it because, you know, whereas there are moments in it that are, like I said, they're, they're, it's it's a kind of, it's, it's going between scary and survivalistic. You know what I'm saying? And there, there are things where I just cannot believe that some of these people didn't realize what was coming. Like what you said about how you couldn't believe that dude didn't see, you know, the machete coming to the face. How uh, uh, What's his name? The dude in the wheelchair, Mark? Mark. Yeah. How you how you couldn't see that coming, or how you know in in the midst of uh, the two going at it that they couldn't hear it or something like that, or how the girl in the in the ugly ass panties didn't 
I mean, she just walked in there and she was like, and the, the inner of it just, it, I don't know. It's, 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 it's one of those things where I'm really having a hard time going between the survival instinct versus scary, scary. All right. Fair enough. Alex. Uh, I gave scare factor a nine. It is pretty amazing how scary this movie is. Um, the one memory I have personally is I watched this movie with my mom twice in the year, I think 2000 and again in like 2003 and both times she was always jarred and jumped and was scared at the scene where Ginny's going to grab, like I mentioned earlier, the door, then grab the window and then Jason bursts through the window that gets her every time. And it's pretty amazing. Like this movie has so many of those types of jump scares and they all work every time. Like the girl with the brown panties and like I said, checking in the room and Jason just sits up out of bed is fucking scary and creepy as fuck. And like uh, the window jump scene at the end is, is uh, incredible. And just Jason like getting up from when Ginny's in the car trying to start, he just appears in the window and then ripping through the top. It's terrifying. And just seeing him run from a distance, like I said, in the shack, it's just like, it's pretty amazing how many, scares there are and how they all work so well so um it, it, to me this is just a nine they just did they just hit every beat so perfectly steve minor just knew how to direct all these yeah i i'm in an eight uh to me this might be one of the scariest in the franchise because when i put myself uh, and this is why i can't believe it wasn't it didn't work for kenneth um when i put myself in the position um, uh, of these characters having to deal with Sackhead Jason, I 100% think Sackhead Jason would be able to kill me without a shadow of a doubt. And that's why this movie is scary to me. There's something that also about Sackhead Jason that just straight up unnerves me. Plus, it has two of the greatest jump scares scenes of all time. Uh, with the bed scene being absolutely fantastic. And then the window jump scare is iconic and is used in the future to great effect in the series. It's just one of those things I absolutely love. All right, entertainment. Jay, take it away. No, you can't tell me what to do. Actually, I'm the host. I can. So. Oh, shit. All right. That's right. We signed that Go contract. you're fine. Uh, entertainment, I gave it a seven. Despite the weird opening and the slow pacing, I was still pretty entertained by it. Um, basically, everything that Alex has said for the reasons he gives it a 10 is the stuff that made me, uh, be, that kept me entertained throughout watching the movie and ended it with a seven. Uh, so, not my favorite Friday the 13th. I actually used to keep, uh, I used to have. Uh, the first one pretty low on my list, but after watching both of them now uh, in close proximity, I like the first one a lot better than I like this one. Um, so entertainment, I give a seven. Fair enough, Alex. Oh no, hey, I'm sorry, this uh, is Alex. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Kenneth. <laughs> I gave it an eight. I mean, it's one of those that you know, even though, like I said at the beginning, is slow pacing and stuff like that, I can still be entertained by it. Like if I if I come across it on like you know Turner Classic Movies or something like that or whatever. You know, I'm I'm more than likely, you know, 75, 80% of the time I'm going to get into it within five minutes. 
And so, you know, it's it's definitely entertaining to watch for the most part. And it's definitely one of those out of the earlier, you know, three, the first three that I would probably I'd probably end up watching this one more than the, you know what I'm saying? The other two. Fair enough. Alex. Yeah, no surprise. Ten entertainment. Uh, I'm completely entertained, completely enthralled. Everything's very gripping. Uh, like I said, I I'm not going to penalize it for that stupid intro. I mean, I I understand somebody felt something had to be there for whatever reason, but I'm not going to really like say Friday the 13th part two is not entertaining on any level. So, um, yeah, 10, like I said, every single act works for me. I love the development. I love the development of the entire narrative and it just hits that crescendo of greatness and it's just never anything but great. So, all right. I gave it an eight. Uh, I think this is one, the, most entertaining out of the series but it does get for me i don't know what it is i have a real problem with the opening to this movie (laughs) if you haven't noticed i can't get over it i really can't that it should be taken away but the last 26 minutes of this film are perfection and it's so entertaining that it, it really does make up for it so i i had to give it an eight um, so we go into rewatchability with Jay. Jay would rewatch this at a six out of 10. Um, probably wouldn't this, like my love for the series really starts at three. I think I'm going to have to evaluate this as I'm watching them all again. Um, but I, like I said, or like I said, the last category, I like the first one more than the second one. I'd probably watch that over this one. Um, but even then, I wouldn't really watch this one very much. Fair enough. Kenneth? I gave it a nine. Pretty much kind of piggybacking on the same reasons why I was entertained by it. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, it's one of those that if I catch it on TV or something like that, more than likely I'm going to watch it. You know, and and I've, I watched it a few weeks ago. Like I, like the, the version that I have of the box set is the one that's got one and two on one disc and then three and four and so on and so forth. So when we did uh, did the one for uh, Friday one, I uh, I just went ahead and watched part two right then, and then I turned around and didn't have no problem rewatching it for this. So you know, I mean, it definitely has rewatchability. Fair enough, Alex. Uh, ten. Even at age uh, ten and eleven and twelve, I used to just kill this VHS tape. Uh, just you know, you could have watched it instead of killing it. It's not a Hall- It's not a Halloween movie. Well, I know Michael J. Uh, never mind. <laughs> I could have done other things, but uh, yeah, no. I starting from then, I just could not get enough. Um, when I got older and got back into these movies, uh, this was the obvious best. And I've watched this about sixty times, so I would say it's pretty high rewatchability for me. Yeah, uh, I give it an eight because along with entertainment. I think it's probably it's probably my second most watched in the series, but I, I take off points for having to skip the Alice intro. I should not have to skip anything. You should just make the movie I want. So, come on, Friday the 13th. Fucking Steve Miner, get your shit together. All right, we go into the very last category. Jay, pop culture. I just closed my fucking notepad app because I'm a dumbass. Uh, pop go. culture is a five. Um, 
as we said on the last one, we were judging these this category going forward as the lasting impact that the specific entry in the series had. Um, it did first introduce Jason. However, most people remember Jason with the hockey mask, which came from part three. And I think if I were to ask an average horror fan, not uh, us who watch these things all the time, but just someone who enjoys horror and knows who Jason is, if they could tell me anything about part two, I think they would have a real struggle. So I gave uh, I gave it a five in this category. Fair enough, Kenneth. I gave it a nine for the fire uh, for the uh, campfire scene because I mean that 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 whole thing where where they're talking about uh, where he's talking about the story and I'm gonna give it to you straight about Jason and stuff like that that's fucking iconic it is and people know it you know what I'm saying I mean I honestly think that if I were to ask somebody about the movie piggybacking off of Jay I think that if they remembered anything else they'll remember that. Because, I mean, it carries through through the rest of the series. And then on top of that, I mean, it, it, that part alone holds its own water. And then on top of that, people, people always remember the head with the, uh, with the candles around it. People remember that, too. So I gave it a nine. Hmm. Fair enough. Alex? Uh, I gave it an eight. Uh, I kind of agree with Jay, but also it's eight because of what Kenneth said. Um, it's... It's the movie that started Jason Voorhees. I mean, that alone is enough pop culture points that although Jay's right that uh, they might not know the specifics of this movie and they also may not know he had a sack on his head, it's it's still Friday the 13th and Jason Voorhees. And that name just holds too much weight and the introduction of him. I mean, I, we might be surprised that people, uh, more people do know that, you know? Um, but you know, without getting specific, I really, I didn't take a poll or anything, so I I have no idea, but my guesstimation is a a nice eight for that one. All right. I gave it a nine. Uh, we get Jason, but just not the way that he becomes legendary for, but Sackhead is great. And honestly, in, in a, in his own right, even if it was done before with a town that dreaded sundown, Sack Jason is iconic in the horror community. Not only that, if we went to a poll and said, name one of the most iconic Jason scenes ever, people would talk about the jump through the window scare scene in part four. Well, you know what? You wouldn't have had that if you didn't have the jump through the window scene in part two. Therefore, I think because of that, you have to add points. It gave you the iconic Jason through the window jump scare. Also, the scene of Jenny holding the pitchfork is fucking horror royalty. That is one of the most iconic final girl pictures ever. Um, so why I can't give it a 10 because it is not the Jason that I feel like most people are going to point out. Uh, and it's not, you know, zombie Jason to me, there are other things to look out in this movie for what it did for the series. The big one being the jump through the window scare. And I think that is so important that I have to give it a nine. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that that didn't come up for y'all's pop culture thing because of how that how that scene is basically remade in part four. Which... Right, but it's not it's not where it came from. It's 
people remember. If people remember the scene of part four, then the popularity score for part four or the pop culture score for part four is automatically higher because it's what people remember. Correct, but there, but it's still important enough that you point out the origin of where it came from, and this is the movie of where it came from. Without it being in this movie, you probably would not have seen it in part four. So I think give credit where credit is due to quote Lando Calrissian, and that's something I know you can't disagree on. No, I agree. I just I don't feel like for this particular category that that actually should affect the score. Why not? It's dealing with the pop culture of the franchise. Right. The pop culture is directly related to an iconic move. An iconic. It is. It is an iconic move that Jason does in multiple movies. And it started with this one. Fair enough. So I, I just think it should be, that's something that I think people often overlook because of part four. And I think that this movie deserves a bit more credit for it than it gets so it's something i want to kind of just give into all right it is time to break down scores friday the 13th got a hundred and twenty one points from me a hundred and three points from jay a hundred and nine points from kenneth and a hundred and thirty nine points from alex that is that is pretty good. Uh, Jay wins lowest with 103, and Alex wins highest with 139, which is actually about where I thought it would land. Um, I did think Kenneth was going to be closer to my score, so that was kind of surprising. Kenneth's score was actually surprising to me in general throughout this whole thing. He really came in and put it under a critical eye and called it on its flaws. So much like how I did that for A Nightmare on Elm Street, I gotta say, Kenneth had a bunch of good points for that, for this movie. Um, Cool. I also, just last (laughs) words on this, we got nine kills, uh, maybe ten, depending on how you think. Uh, I want to talk about the pee scene one more time. Uh, I want to say that the pee scene is definitively solved, that it is Jenny's pee, because they show the pee scene, then go back to to the rat right by her face with absolutely no pee around him. She pissed herself. Point blank. Damn, out of all the strength that she has, a rat made her piss herself. Well, it's a combination of stress from the rat, how much she drank at the bar, uh, Jason. Uh, she also has a death. De- she is definitely afraid of overalls, and people really don't talk about that enough. I guess, man. So. Yeah, she's not a big fan of Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. All right, guys, it is time to talk A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. We're starting with story, and now we're going in reverse, so I get to go first. For no. story, I give it an 8. The story here to me is better than the first movie, as it feels... I, I feel it shows the descent into madness a lot better. While the first one deals with the mystery better than this one does, it has them going this one has them going so overboard mentally that they can barely get to solve the mystery uh the movie does hurt on its finale with the whole power of love thing winning but to be honest i think that's just as dumb as the ending of the first movie with how she beat nancy beats freddie in the first movie i think they both have fucking dumb endings but i i like the way this movie does 
Freddy in general better. Also, I kind of told Kenneth and Jay this. When I watched the movie this time, I, I focused less on the homosexuality that is always talked about and focused more on Jesse dealing with mental issues like anxiety and depression and maybe even going into like bipolar schizophrenia. And to me, that changed the movie and made it a lot better. So the next time you guys do watch Friday or A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, take the homosexuality out and l- watch Jesse's Where's character. Where's the fun in that? Okay, well, keep the homosexuality in, but after you come, pay more attention to, to <laughs> Jesse going through. It's only three minutes of the movie. Yeah, I usually come like the first time I, I see Jesse all sweaty. Personally. Alex, when do you come? Uh, during the shower scene. <laughs> I come when Jesse first gets out of bed. He's all sweaty. And he has just enough time for him to stick his hand down his whitey tidies. Come instantly. Like when he pops the cork. Soon as the screen gets slashed open and we see the title, I'm done. <laughs> Jay's just like, show me Freddy's <laughs> name. Show me Freddy's <laughs> name. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so I, next time you watch the movie, look at, uh, the, the mental state of Jesse and think of, of mental problems in general, mental health and watch it that way. And I think it will change it. Um, and I'm actually very curious to see if that did affect it for Kenneth and Jay, cause I told them about it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I give it an eight. Alex, where are you at? Uh, also an eight. Um, I completely agree that the, well, that whole power of love, like, Wow. What a what a way to just stall out and just have no real ending there. It's just unbelievably bad. But yeah, uh, same thing. It's just incredible. I like five years later, move into the house. I love the uh, different angle they took. Instead of just uh, coming into people's dreams and stuff, uh, Freddie exploited uh, sleepwalkers, which is what Jesse is. And... He actually is trying to get into the real world, so that's really different. I mean, he he did it in part one, but not by his doing. So, uh, for some reason, he wanted to get there, so that's interesting yeah, to do something different. The first time failed, he wanted to try a different way. Yeah, so I guess he got a taste of it. Maybe it just didn't work out like he planned. Uh, he didn't know the, the bed he was on was an elevator. So, you know, things just didn't turn out like you thought they would. Uh, so, yeah, and this one, it was just great. It just, it, there's just such a sense of this paranoia uh, that someone, you're doing things against your will. Not, you're not just doing things, you're killing people. And there's a paranoia about if you're going to get caught. There's a paranoia about your own morals here. And, and there's a, a struggle and just, it's just craziness. And, um, it's just that's a great story. I mean, it's a great. I'm not sure if they should have abandoned these the regular dream thing just yet, but they did, and it, it worked out. It's a very entertaining movie. The thought just crossed my mind. I can't believe I've never put this together. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is filmed the next year after Friday the Thirteenth Part One, and but the movie itself takes place five years later. Nightmare on Elm Street does the exact same thing. Oh. <laughs> Never, never put that together. Never noticed it until Alex said the movie takes place five years later, which we know from the diary. Right. Um, so that's just, I, I, wow, I never thought about that. That's fucking crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Kenneth, go ahead. I gave it an eight. I thought it was pretty good. I like where they went with it. Um, I like the fact of, you know, piggybacking on Alex. I like the, I like the uh, sleepwalking aspect of it. Um Looking at it from the perspective that you kind of planted into my head, 
I liked the the going down the rabbit hole. I liked that looking at it from that perspective. It was enjoyable to me. Oh, talking about the mental uh, health. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, because I, I had a hard time watching it this time and not thinking about that since you planted it in my skull. So, you know, looking at it from that perspective, um, I, there were aspects of it that I thought could have been further explored. You know, um, but there were other things about the story that that I think were lacking. But it wasn't what it wasn't the ending. You know, because I think that in a, in a situation like that, even if you were to look at it from mental health, from a situation like that, like like if you take out, you know, the the things that we see where where what's that girl's name? What's the 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 chick's name? Um, Kim. Well, that's a real name, I think. Right. Kim Myers. What's um, her, what's her, what's her character's name? I forget. Uh, Christy. No, hold up a second. I'm about to Jesus. How do I not know this? Yeah, I don't know how you don't know this. Um, I'm, I'm terrible with it. No, I was talking about uh, Alex. Uh, why is it escaping me? Okay, hold up. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, Lisa. Oh, God. Lisa. Okay. So, you know, the I, if you take away the stuff where, where let's just say, for, for sake of argument, that, J, uh, that Jesse is hallucinating this whole thing, completely hallucinating the whole thing. You know, and it turns into one of those things where he ends up killing people. The it, I honestly think that in a, in a real life psychotic episode situation, that the love for another person would keep you from wanting to kill them. But then you've got your whole, you know, which side, uh, which side of the of the coin are you going on? And I honestly think that that was utilized well in that particular situation because that would be one of those things that would possibly curb you from going even further and so even if it doesn't the whole way i mean you look at serial killers and you look at people like that or something like that they even feel remorse afterwards but it just seems like that whole segment right there would be him fighting with himself we just didn't get to see what happened later on down the road yeah we really didn't get to see more of the internal struggle right that i wish we would have so, you know, I can't really fault that whole, you know, he was in love with her and love conquers all kind of thing. I can't really fault that because, number one, we don't see further. But number two, that actually holds water. There were just other aspects of it that I think could have been further explored. Like, I think even though uh, Clue did a great job at being the that type of father, I think that that could have been further explored. I think that, you know, his relationship with his mom could have been further explored. You know, things like that. But obviously, you know, budgetary things and time constraints and stuff like that. But if you were to look at it from an extreme psychological horror thriller movie, you could have explored more things. So that's the reason why I didn't get a 10. Maybe they could have we could have had less scenes of Jesse sweating and more scenes. <laughs> Those were integral of to the plot. Father and mother relationship. You know what, Jay? You're right. Jay, you have to follow up uh, what Kenneth just said. So good luck. Story. <laughs> uh, all right. So I actually, I don't think anybody's hit on how I feel yet. So that's okay. Um, story. I gave a seven. I gave it a seven because like the first one, as much as I love these franchise, stupid looking at them with analytical minds, um, they don't really ever explain the fuck. Like, he got disappeared, and then he was back, and then he's back, but he can only go after Jesse, and he can only get to other people if Jesse's there. Like, they don't ever explain that aspect of it. However, I do like 
the possession, like him trying to possess Jesse to get to other people, uh, to get himself out into the real world, to attack people who are awake uh, and using Jesse as a vessel to do all that. And so I thought all that was done really well. I thought exploring, like you guys said, the uh, the mental health aspect. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's what they were going for the whole time. But I thought that was all done really well. I thought the relationships were done really well. Um, it's just the the lack of explanation on Freddy's abilities and where and why he's doing some things uh, kind of knocks the score down for me. Completely understandable. I, I have that with every fucking nightmare movie uh so far all right we now move into character development uh i gave an eight while most characters in the movie are just your basic types to kind of fill in i do feel like they all actually get development um for their characters like you you think um fuck what's his name uh grady you think Grady's grady character is just like the dumb jock but then you kind of find out you know no he's not being a a, a dick because he wants to be a dick to jesse he's just fucking passing the time and he actually becomes a good friend to grady uh well a good friend grady becomes a good friend to jesse i think jesse and lisa get great character development as you kind of sit there because you gotta have to think lisa's pretty rich her parents are pretty rich yet she's catching a ride with jesse in his car that has to be started by basically doing a fucking gang handshake. That's that's pretty interesting. It makes you think a little bit more about her character. It makes you pay a little bit more attention to things she does and how far she goes for Jesse and how much she wants to help Jesse. Um, and the family dynamic you have with Jesse's family is very interesting. I mean, so I actually, I do feel like there is development here. The only reason I can't give it a 10 is because I feel like they don't, put as much time on that development and you really do have to kind of you know put a lot of things together yourself by just reading it into yourself that they probably themselves didn't fucking give half a shit about thinking to put into the movie um alex yeah um i i did give it a 10 um i think that in this movie it's different than a friday also because they're like i guess they're attempting to flesh out like 12 or 15 different people and here it's more like a core you know thing where they don't really have to develop too many characters so i think that that plays in favor to all the ones that are in this movie all the main characters at least um everybody like you said i i really have a good sense of the family i have a like that the depths of brady i mean oh grady who who would think he had any and you did think he was just a dick and stuff like that. Then you realize, you know, even being friends and hanging out with him and sitting at lunch, it's kind of strange because he doesn't even come off as a, a guy who would hang out with with um, um, Mark Patton. So it's like it's weird that uh, he's even Jesse's friend at all. So it's it's like uh, that in, in itself is some kind of depth and development, you know, um, and you get a good sense of the relationship between uh, Jesse and Lisa eventually and the frustrations that are building and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it was really, really well developed. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a seven and after listening to you two, I wish I had given it more. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think, I think that Jesse and Lisa's character were, were, were fleshed out really well. Um, you know, looking back on Grady, 
uh, Grady was really, really cool and the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And I really, really liked Clue as the dad. But otherwise, I felt like the, you know, any other kind of uh, pointing or anything else like that to anybody else, I thought it was kind of weak. Um, even the, even down to the coach. I mean, don't get me wrong, coach was menacing, but at the same time, you know, there really was no development. He was just kind of this guy who was into BDSM. Yeah, you and, know what, though? I got to say this. He chews gum like every fucking asshole on any kind of TV show or movie <laughs> ever. There's just a certain way they chew gum where you just go, oh, that character is an asshole. And he fucking nails it. You're like Val Kilmer and Top Gun. Uh, well, we'll find out soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for that. But uh, no, I mean, other than that, I mean, other than the, you know, the main three characters, I don't think it, I don't think the other ones were really. But I guess again, you know, furthering along the story and and time constraints and all the rest of that. I mean, you know, and then on top of that, there's a few of them in there that's like kind of like, what's the point? But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I just uh, I wish I had given it like an eight or a nine based on some of the things that y'all said, but I'm 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 at a seven. Fair enough, Jay. Uh, I also gave it a seven. Uh, I agree with what every everything. Uh, I hate my brain. I'm on like day seven, okay, of a work week, so forgive me. Um, I agree with what everyone has already said. I just feel like the score for all those reasons, is still a seven. I feel like the the three main characters were fleshed out really well. I feel like the, uh, I really liked what they did with Freddy in this. He actually he felt super menacing, even more so than the first one. Um, the gym teacher, I think, had enough development. You know, he was basically uh, a sadomasochist, and he got off on, on messing with kids. Uh, whether or not it was a sexual attraction, it was just the uh, the being in control part is what I got from it all. Uh, not so much that he wanted to to fuck the kids up the ass, uh, but being able to control them and tell them what to do. I think that was developed good enough. Um, I would have liked more more interaction with uh, with the main guy's name is Mark, right? I'm so fucking terrible with names. Are you talking about Mark Patton, the actor? The the, Jesse. the oh, is that his name? Yeah. Jesse. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Jesse. sorry because I'm the one who said Mark. That's his real name. It's really we should, we should <laughs> I, be saying Jesse. Yeah. I'm terrible with names. Okay. It doesn't matter. You could tell me his name was fucking Joe, and I'd probably believe you. Um, I would like to see like his dad seems really really mad at him all the time, and I really like to know what's going on with that. Uh, like, dude, your kid's having night terrors, and you're just like fucking pissed at him for it. What's going on there? Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but besides that, yeah. So I just like I said. Yeah. I agree with you guys, uh, but I just felt it falls more into a seven than anything else. So, something that bothers me about the dad character is for someone who looks like he's out, he's straight out of Revenge of the Nerds, he acts like a fucking military dad. Yeah. Like, it, the, the looks don't match the attitude. It's very strange to me. Um, but that doesn't really matter. Anyway, pacing and editing. Um, I give this an 8. This movie is a valley of ups and downs, and I don't mean ups as in good, downs and bad, but I mean of horror and story. Because it goes from a little bit of story development, then you got some horror. Story development, horror. Story development, horror. And I think that's what makes this movie move so well, keep you captivated to watching it. And to be honest, that's what I want in a horror movie. Give me spouts of horror throughout the story you're telling me. I think this movie does that. So I gave it an 8. Alex. 
Yeah, I actually gave it an eight, and I really have nothing to add besides what you said. I would just be wasting uh, airspace. So. All right, Kenneth. Um, I gave it a six. I mean, because there were instances where I felt like a dragon, where it drug along a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, it, it for the most part, it was just like kind of like what you said, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, I did personally feel like there was a couple of moments where I'm like, eh, you know what I'm saying? You know, we can kind of speed this up a little bit, but overall, I mean, it, you know, it stayed pretty steady. I don't need another scene of him sweating. Come on, <laughs> Jay, go ahead. Jay gave the pacing. I don't know why I'm the third person talking tonight. That's uh, weird. I don't need to add another thing to my to my mental health there. Uh, pacing and editing, I gave a seven. Um, I felt it moved wrong just fine. Some things were unnecessary, uh, like him dancing and putting away his things. I felt that was out of place uh, in the whole movie. So, But otherwise, it, it, everything moved along at a pretty decent pace. Fair enough. All right, we move into atmosphere. I gave the atmosphere a nine. I feel like the atmosphere in this movie is pretty intense, uh, uh, pretty intense with making you watch, making you watch someone's downward spiral into madness, madness as it then manifests itself into Freddy. The only reason I didn't give it a ten is because I do not feel the music does a good enough job to help that along, like what we saw in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Um, but I do feel like there is very intense moments in here and the atmosphere and setting and all of that works very well to bring you there. So Alex, I give it a nine and it's funny cause I feel the music does add, um, there's like this certain cue you hear, uh, sounds like, uh, like it, like you hear it a lot when, um, that first dream where Jesse's looking on the side of his house and he's looking down into like his furnace and Freddie's taking the glove out of there. Um, <clears throat> like that scene alone coupled with like this <clears throat> ins- insanity spiral that is just going on through the whole movie. And it just really makes you feel like you're going crazy. Like when I was a kid, I used to feel like I'm going crazy along with Jesse, you know, like it, it really, just drew me in and um i don't know I, I think everything made it just really creepy intense and freddy and the way he performed and the the way he was shown and everything it just had this real creep level and uh just this menacing feeling all around because you don't know what's happening and how this will end yeah but the problem i have with the sound with the soundtrack affecting the atmosphere and the reason I don't feel it does a good job or it is the whale sounds. Yeah, like, I like every that. time Freddy comes on there and the whale sound happens, I'm sitting there going, Yeah. Did I switch to Orca and not realize it? The fuck is going on? Because that's a possibility. <laughs> anytime I'm watching some at any time I could have switched to Orca and just not realized it. And I thought that's what was happening here. But the Orca noises really kind of fucking take me out. But they are kind of unsettling, so whatever. Uh Kenneth. I gave the atmosphere a seven. And the reason why I gave it that is because there are moments when it's really fucking creepy. You know, there there are moments when you see, you know, Freddie doing certain things when he's talking to Jesse and stuff like that. That's just really, 
you know, and that it really creepy. And then when he goes downstairs and stuff like that, it really is. But then there are other mo- other parts of it that just take me out of the atmosphere altogether. You know, like don't get me wrong, I love the scene where he's dancing around and stuff like that. But it, but at the same time, it takes me out of the movie. You know, in defense of that scene, I wanna I wanna say this. I think that scene is there to represent that there are times where Jesse can be happy, can be upbeat, and can be a normal kid, even though most other times in this movie he's he's not shown like that. Uh, it's it's just this, it's the same thing. Just it goes a little bit farther. Um, like when he's talking to Grady in the locker rooms and they're cutting out having a good time and it shows how he can be normal, which just juxtaposition to him going crazy and losing his fucking mind and brooding throughout the rest of the time is, I know me and Jay can sit here and go, we've 100% went from being happy and giddy and dancing to fucking brooding at the breakfast table in a fucking instant. I want some waffles. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I mean, so I, get, I, I get that, but like I said, at the same time, I mean, you know, it's, it's not still that I don't, and, Yeah, it's still it's still throwing me off. And and don't get me wrong, like I said, I enjoy the scene, and the movie wouldn't be the same without it. But it still throws me out. You know what I'm saying? It takes me from being in a very tense place to not being in the tense place. And I'm one of those people that I enjoy the tension throughout the whole thing. I like once the tension starts to be tense the whole way. That's. It's understandable. All right, Jay, go ahead. Uh, I give it an, what are we on, atmosphere? I give it an eight. Um, I felt that it did a great job. And so while I critiqued the dancing scene in the editing and pacing category, um, I felt like it didn't really detract from the overall atmosphere because that scene was meant to be fun, whether I liked the scene or not. And so I felt like it, like the, that scene's atmosphere is meant to be fun and light, and it was, so it succeeded. Whether or not I liked it is another story. And then once the dancing stops and they get back to regular life and they find the diary, the atmosphere changes again, and it, I think it transfers really well, actually. And then the rest of the movie is just it, it's really good. Everything is, is really good as far as the atmosphere is for uh, every other scene, I think. All right. We now go into scenery set design. I give it a nine because they go to a lot of different places. His house, her house, the school, the S&M bar, the pool party, Grady's bedroom, Grady's bed, um, a boiler room, uh, Jesse's underwear. Everything looks good. And even though some of it is kind of standard easy stuff like the school, it's still a matter of how many different sets they had and how every single one of them looked good. And even like when you had a set, like just how many different places did they go in that school? There's like five different locations just for that school. Um, so it's, it, they didn't, they did a solid job on it and I have to give them a solid nine four. I think the only reason I don't give them a 10 is because, because it is a nightmare on Elm street movie. They didn't have, that one really creative dreamscape place that I would expect in the Friday movies, even though technically I think that really starts in part three and going forward. So maybe I shouldn't be saying that. I'm not sure because I'm not as well adjusted for this franchise. So, But either way, I still gave it a high ranking of a nine. Alex? Um, I also give it a nine, and I don't penalize it for not having that because... 
um, this movie really isn't about that. You you don't really get into anyone's dreams and have like some fantastic uh, set because it's really him coming into the normal plain world. So for that reason, um, I guess I wasn't expecting that. So everything they did give us was fitting and it was uh, very atmospheric, like the S&M bar and like the, the school. Like you said, yeah, like the gym, the big area he was running in, the showers, the coaches, you know, area is office or whatever you want to call it. Um, the baseball field. I mean, every they really, um, really kind of went everywhere here and really made this whole movie. You know, Lisa's pool when she's just alone in it. The pool party. Uh, it's just really great. I mean, there's really no, no complaints. I guess uh, as far as all that goes. If anything, the place where Freddie used to work. I think that could have been shot better or directed better or had better lighting. Um, it just didn't have the kind of feeling. I didn't feel creeped out at all in that scene. That was like probably the scene that's most lacking, I think, direction-wise. But, uh, yeah, so I gave a solid 9. All right. Kenneth? Um, I gave it an 8, and I think the biggest reason why I didn't give it higher than that is exactly what Alex said about where Freddie worked. I mean, granted, I like the fact that they they actually found, you know, an a, an old place to, to film in and stuff like that. But I think that, in my opinion, it was far removed from the way the boiler looked in the boiler room type area looked in the first one. And then further on down the road, mm-hmm. I think that I think that the second one, you know, it didn't it didn't have the feel of but- a Freddy movie. All but the... and, and, and I'm trying not to, and I did my best to try not to compare to the to the ones later, but well, just for the know. first movie because I I just want to make sure I'm correct. The all the boiler scenes we get in the first movie are only in the dream world, right? Yes, except well, when he's making the glove at the beginning, that's technically uh, the real world before they burn him. Okay, because I I was just trying to think like. If like because, yes, because if if most of what we see so ninety. Five percent of what we see of the boilers in the first movie are all dream world. I guess they would look more intense than they would look in the real world once it becomes an abandoned factory of at least five years. I guess I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not well versed in this franchise to kind of make these calls. So I'm kind of putting it together. So every once in a while, I'm going to throw out these kind of questions just so I can try to line it up more in my head. Yeah, but even in that, you know, the looking at it from that perspective, the the boiler rooms and stuff in the dream world are basically a manifestation a manifestation of what uh, of of like a more beefed up version of where Freddy was anyway. To me, the look of this is even more more far removed than that. To even kind of if you were to see a dilapidated version of where he was, it still doesn't give me the Freddy look. It doesn't um, look as. Um claustrophobic as i wish it would have i think is i think is the best way to describe it It, like when i think of the freddy in a boiler room i think of how claustrophobic it gets which we do kind of get towards the end of the movie when they're both on the what i don't know what they call it but the the platform the scaffold yeah that that's the only time where it ever feels claustrophobic but yeah when they when lisa and jesse just walk in there Right. They might as well have just walked into a fucking open football field. Right. Yeah, well, and, they, and all the explorers, one closet and they leave. 
Yeah, well, see, I didn't even feel the claustrophobia when they were up on the scaffolding because you still got the vast look of the rest of the factory behind them. I think it's because it's darker. It it feels more claustrophobic to me. But, I mean, and so that's the reason why it didn't get like a 9 or a 10 out of me is just because of that. You know, the rest of it was awesome. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you're, you're you're having a party in this rich girl's, you know, at this rich girl's pool. You definitely could feel like you were at a rich person's house the same way I did the first time I went and had a party at a rich person's house when I was a teenager. You know and what I'm saying? That, no, I didn't rob him. I, the thought crossed my mind, but I was really cool with the dude's parents because his parents know my parents, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? That, that kind of thing. And, 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 you know, the inside of the school, basically fucking just echoing everything that y'all said. It was great. And then that. So I gave it an eight. All right, Jay. Uh, Jay gave the scenery and said, God damn it. I really want to stop doing that. <laughs> uh, I gave the set design a seven. Um, I, I feel like I should give it an eight. I should have given it an eight. Um, just thinking about it. I need to watch these movies better in the future. Um, but I feel like there was there wasn't really anything that that bothered me. I didn't actually have that issue with uh, with his the the boiler or whatever the factory steel mill, whatever the fuck it was, uh, where his where he was. I thought it got a lot creepier at the end of the movie. Like they go to look at it the first time, and it's just like okay. But I thought that was kind of the point. And then at the end of the movie, it got a lot the the atmosphere and uh, the lighting and everything, it was way more creepier at the end of the movie. Um, but other than that, everything looked fine. Uh, the house looked like Nancy's house, but as if someone else had moved in, which it was supposed to. Um, pretty sure they used the real school. That didn't look like any kind of sets were built. Um, and it just everything just looked fine, basically. All right, we move into acting. I, I gave the acting a seven. Some of the acting is pretty over the top, and it works at some points and other points, it's a little ridiculous. Um, none of it's terrible for me to like really harsh on anything, but nothing, nothing special to me. So I gave it a seven. Alex. Uh, yeah. Um, I gave it a nine. I think I'm being generous. I mean, only because I mean, no one really was a bad actor. The, the dad was a very convincing old school, like, you know, uh, dad and the mom was a typical mom. I mean, uh, Grady, he, Robert Russell was a great actor. Mark Patton definitely de- delivered it, uh, a performance that really conveyed everything, anything you would feel if you were going through what he's going through. I think he gave it his all every single scene. So he's the standout performer that that bumped my rating up to a nine. Um, so I think he just did an all out job on this one. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a seven. Um, I think that Mark Patton did a great job. And by the way, if nobody has ever met him, he's really a great guy. Um, I think he did a really good job. Uh, the chick that played Lisa, there were moments where I was just kind of like, eh, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, at the end of it where she's kind of like, you know, Jesse fight it, Jesse fight it, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, I just wasn't feeling it. Um, you know what I'm saying? And and the mom, I really didn't care for the mom. Like I said, uh, Clue blew me away with that. And I really didn't care for the mom. So, I mean, I kind of went back and forth between it. There were there were actors in there that did a great fucking job. And then there were other ones that I was like, eh. You know what I'm saying? Dude to play Grady did awesome, though. So, 
I was kind of back and forth on some of them. All right, fair enough. Jay, go ahead. Uh, eight. Everything was the, like it was fine. I uh, I felt like the main characters did a fine job. I wasn't really bothered by anything really. There, I didn't feel like there was too many examples of of overacting or underacting. I thought it was just for what it was and the time period it came out. I thought it everyone did a fine job. All right, especially Robert England. Yeah. That he he's one like in these movies I just don't even really have a complaint about yet because most of the things that I would complain about are not his acting but more of who's directing him. Um, so special effects I give this a nine. There are great special effects in this movie with the uh, the bedroom scene we get with Grady just blows me away. The the Freddy coming out of Jesse's skin, fucking wonderful. I absolutely love that. And the rest of the movie looks pretty good. Some There's a couple of things that look a little shoddy. Mostly the rat and cat scene towards the end of the movie. But other than that, I, I fucking, I, I really, really love the special effects in this movie. Alex. Yeah, the, those dogs with the human faces were atrocious. Uh, it's it's so weird, though, that if anything, that is like as haunting as anything. So, well, my score, though, is a nine. Uh, I really do like it. Uh, very uh, ambitious. Um, coming out of Jesse's body was, was great. The only complaint I have about that is like, but I think it's an odd choice, really. I don't know if it's special effects, but... Like they have Freddy's like eye looking side to side th- when Jesse's screaming through his mouth. You could see this, which I just don't even understand what we're looking at or how we're looking at this. Um, so that was weird. Uh, Freddy ripping his head and exposing his brain is incredible. The slash marks on on the guy in the shower, great. I mean, it was just um, just all around good special effects. The pool scene, the water boiling. The hot dogs popping were amazing. I mean, I, I watched that over and over. It's really incredible. I'm just kidding. I think but, we found uh, the scene he jacks off to. Yeah, yeah. When they when those pop, so do I. But yeah, nine. <laughs> All right, Kenneth. Ten. Ten. Ooh, big dog. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought everything about it was great. The the uh, one of my favorite and most haunting scenes is when he pull, when Alex mentioned it when he fucking pulls his brain brain open or pulls his skull open and his brain's in there I thought that was awesome. Um, the 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 special effects for the look of Freddy was just fucking creepy as fuck. Oh, I wait, you loved really, it. You see, that's weird to point that out. He had no skull. That's kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just no, no, no. But, I'm not saying you said anything wrong. Like literally, he just pulls skin away and there's his brain. Huh. Right, but either way, it looked <laughs> awesome. Oh yeah, uh, yeah I know. But um, they, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that was amazing. Um, yeah, just everything about it. I thought that you brought up the dogs with the faces. You know, if you look at it, technically, it doesn't look that great. But at the same time, it's it's very fucking freaky and unner- and unnerving. I can't look at it long enough to pick out why it doesn't look good. Right. I mean, it's just, it's unnerving and that, and I, re- and I like that about it. And then, you know, I don't even have to mention the scene in Grady's bedroom because that's fucking, that it's iconic. It's amazing. You know, people love it. So everything about it, you know, and I really, <laughs> I really like the tongue coming out of his mouth. I don't know why I like that <laughs> so much, but I really, really like it. 
It's All big right. and purple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay, special effects. Nine, for all the same reasons everybody else mentioned. Uh, I mean, everything looked good. I, there was a few things that are a little a little dated, and that's why it doesn't get a solid 10. But other than that, it's just it's some of the stuff in this movie is such a pleasure to watch, and the way they pulled it off uh, was fantastic. Fair enough. All right, we move on to kills slash gore. I only gave it a seven because, uh, to me, most of the actual kills in this movie are not that amazing. The gore, on the other hand, um, is really good. Whether it's Freddy showing his brain or busting out of Jesse, that's great. But uh, the kills are actually pretty boring considering um, out of the ten kills in this movie, seven of them happen at the pool scene. And... uh, Freddy is not hands-on with a lot of them. It's people falling into fire, and one guy just gets trampled to death, and another one just gets thrown into a grill, and I just assume he's dead. But I'm not 100% sure. Um, So I kind of wish that the kills were more in this movie. It had a very... It reminded me of The Burning, where all the kills just kind of happen in one area. But I don't watch this movie for the kills, so I, I it doesn't really bother me. But so I still only give it a seven. Alex, I give the kills an eight. Um, yeah, they're not mind blowing. Uh, yeah, like you said, one of the worst had to be just when he like threw a guy near a gate and he just went on the floor and fire just came up from there. Like that was weird. Uh, but but it did have the iconic stuff like Grady and the gym teacher and things like that. So. That's great. The gore was awesome, like with the blades coming out of his fingers and stuff like that. Um, the brain, like we mentioned a few times. Uh, I don't know. Um, Freddy melting was pretty cool, I guess. So uh, that was gory. So, yeah, I give it an eight. I don't think it's really mind-blowing. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a nine, and I wish that I had brought it down just a little bit now thinking about it but at the same time there i really like the utilizing the 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 stuff that the coach was into against him you know during that kill i like that you know i thought that the uh the the special effects mixed in with it was cool but i like the fact that you know they strapped him up and you know what i'm saying they 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 tied him up and whatever and then beat him and then and then you know he slashed him up i i like that i enjoyed it um it it was probably the highlight for me uh, of of that. And then the same thing I liked, even though the look of Grady's kill was not that great, I liked the where the claws came through the door. I liked that because it gave weight to the strength of of the weapon itself. Because when you just look at it, even though it looks you know, it, it's definitely got a signature look to it. At the same time, it looks like that the blades would be fim- flimsy if you look at them. And, and I don't know if I- any of y'all are into knives, but if you look at the the size of the blades in the first couple movies, they look really small and like they would be a little bit flimsy. So having them come through the door and still come down gives it, you know, the illusion of strength. And yeah, I like I, that. Every time I actually see that scene, I, I I always just feel like I bet he just jammed the shit out of his fingers. Right. Well, yeah. 
but I mean, and so it does, it, it gives the illusion of strength to the weapon. I mean, the, with the copper and everything else. So I actually really enjoyed that, even though I think they could have done a much better job on the makeup effect of Grady laying there on the floor. And I've, I've, I know the story behind it and whatever else, but I, I, I wish they'd have done more with it. So for those two, that's the reason why I'm kind of a little bit higher, but I probably looking back in retrospect, I probably maybe would have brought it down to an eight from a nine. Okay. You know, fair enough. Uh, uh, Jay, go ahead. I gave it a uh, eight. And like you said, the gore is really good. The kills were kind of standard. Um, I agree with that sentiment, but the gore was so good uh, that that's why it kind of stays at an eight for me. Um, as we already mentioned, the special effects, which led to the gore, like when Freddy steps out of Jesse, that's fantastic. Um, the fingers and the knives, when he's cutting everybody up, the blood all over the place in the shower scene. So yeah, the gore itself saved that category and kept it at an eight for me, even though the kills were basically, I cut your back and I stabbed you in the guts. Yeah. All right, monster killer. I gave this a nine. Uh, this is the scariest. J uh, the scariest Freddy has ever been. He's a he's a goddamn beast. He is just fucking mean and fucking evil. That's all I need to say. At nine, Alex, go ahead. Uh, I give it a ten. I always thought the Freddy character was probably the greatest invention ever. Like a guy who comes to you in your dreams. And now that we're exploring another aspect of what he could do with sleep and dreams and stuff, that is just uh, icing on the cake. And I love the way he looks. He, he looks so creepy and weird with that witchy nose and stuff. And he is just so cold. And it's just really a great portrayal of Freddy. And the last time we'll ever really be scared of him, I think. So, no. 10. I was going to say, it's... Whenever they do the close-up of Freddy's mouth, but it's Jesse's voice coming through, that always kind of makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, Kenneth, go ahead. I give it a nine. I mean, th to me, th th that scene where he's at the pool and the fire is showing on his face when somebody gets his attention, not from behind him, but on his face when somebody gets his attention, I've always wanted to get that tattooed on me. Because that is the fucking most wicked to me that Freddy has ever looked. I mean, he just looks fucking mean as shit right there. And so, and, and throughout the rest of the movie, I mean, the contact lenses, everything. I mean, he just looks badass. And so that, I mean, and, and, and the whole movie in this, it doesn't have that, that, you know, that kind of, uh, quirky cartoony thing to it. I mean, he just seems like he's fucking mad and vengeful the whole way through it and that he wants to accomplish what he's got to accomplish and that he's going to get out into the real world and he's going to fuck more people up. That's exactly what it seems like to me the entire movie. And so I give it a nine. Fair enough. Jay. Ugh, Jay. I'm sorry. Sorry. My niece is like yelling in the um, as super distracting. Uh, Monster Killer, I gave an eight. Um, for pretty much all the reasons you said, super scary, super menacing. Uh, he was like really mean and tormenting Jesse. So, uh, if he has mental issues, like we've discussed, uh, dealing with a demon, exploiting all of them just to possess him is even worse. Uh, so yeah, I gave him an eight. All right. We move into hero. I gave this a seven. I, I guess Lisa is the hero. 
and her dedication to Jesse is great, so I will give her credit for that. I just don't think anyone gives a shit. So, a seven. Alex. I didn't, um, view Lisa as a hero, I guess. Like, I don't give a shit, really. So, uh, I just kept it with Jesse, although I guess, well, I guess he's a hero because he's the one who really fought off the whole, um, you know, possession by... Nah, he's a pussy. He wouldn't have been able to beat it without Lisa. He was constantly giving up. I get, yeah, when he says, yeah, I can't and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Well, I rated it based on him and what That's I fine. thought of him as a final girl, you know? So, um, I, I love that it's it's a guy and that the guy is the vehicle of this moving stuff because it, it's more relatable because um, we're always just watching a chick and stuff. So I thought that was cool, and um, I think he did a commendable job in every way. So, yeah, nine. Fair enough. Kenneth? I gave it a seven, and it was just because, you know, the clarity of who the hero was. You know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of like a back and forth. You know what I'm saying? You got this shit going on with Jesse, but at the same time, you know, you got Lisa, who's kind of trying to be the backbone to help him further along his stuff. But at the same time, you know, she's not as strong as I think she could be. Yada, yada, yada. I think it's just, you know what I'm saying? I gave it a seven because it was just kind of unclear to me (laughs) of which direction they were going for the hero. You know what I mean? I'm with you on that. Jay. Uh, Hero is a seven. Um, I kind of liked the duality of having, I feel like both Jesse and the, uh, and the girl were, were both equally the hero. Jesse was trying to, has been trying to fight Freddie internally this entire time and dealing with pretty much not being able to tell anybody. Um, even when he tries to tell her, like, she's like, yeah, no, it's cool. But then like, he's like, well, if I stick around, I'm probably going to kill you and I don't want to do that. And then at the end of the movie, uh, she helps finally defeat him or so we think because every fucking nightmare movie has to end with a stupid ass cliffhanger um and so that kind of makes her the hero so i feel like they share the hero role pretty equally throughout the movie um but i felt like there could have been more more development there and so that's kind of why i gave it a seven all right we move on to score and soundtrack i gave it a seven it's good it follows the movie and it never really takes me out but it it's not really effective um but the goddamn whale sounds are the real reason. If it wasn't for the whale sounds, I probably would have gave it an 8. But the whale sounds don't do for me what they were trying to do with them by making it an eerie thing that happened every time Freddy showed up. Just does not work for me. Alex. Uh, I give it a 9. I really love that cue that they keep using and... Um... I think the whale sounds do work for me because I, I guess when growing up, I always like associated that with like the cries of the children that he murdered and stuff. So like it kind of has that type of vibe, that eerie sound of like faint cries of sorts or screams, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it really added to the atmosphere for me. So nine. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a nine also. Because to me, I mean, I think that, you know, what they did pull from the first one and stuff like that kind of fit in. And then also adding the extra added parts of the uh, extra added parts of it. You know what I'm saying? Like like what y'all called whale sounds and stuff like that. I do think it gave it a little bit more of an eerie kind of feeling to it, especially if you watch the movie with headphones on. If you do that and you kind of have that with uh, with it in the background, it does make it kind of feel like just... You know what I'm saying when you're watching it. So, 
thing I just go on to the don't do something that references a better movie in your movie. So don't reference Orca. Orca is one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> uh, Jay, go ahead. Uh, soundtrack, I gave a seven. Um, again, music. This kind of stuff is is harder for me to to judge. Uh, I felt like the music that wasn't there uh, did a good job of enhancing the scenes, but nothing really stuck out to me. I did like the choice of end credits song, though. I thought the uh, the old timiness of it, with you know the dread of the final scene, really fit well, uh, in my opinion. All right. Was enough. that the same song that the dad was playing um, before they changed the record? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Scare Factor. I gave Scare Factor an eight. Um, most because anyone suffering from mental issues, especially anxiety, uh, I think they feel like Jesse feels in a lot of this movie. And uh, this movie feels like a manifestation of that for me. So it's actually, now that I see the movie that way, this movie has become way more scary to me. Alex, go ahead. I echo everything, including the rating of an 8. Fair enough. Kenneth? I give it an 8. And the reason why I gave it an 8 is because... You know, the, the the aspects of it, of like like what you were talking about, man, looking at it from that perspective. I mean, and then on top of that, I feel more like there's not really anything you can do. You know, it's difficult to fight back against something that is, you know, if you if you get past the psychological and you look at it literal, the being able to fight back against this thing that is inside of you and is trying to bust through you, you can't really fight against that. It's it, it's between you and your soul and the mental capabilities of it, and and to me, I think that's that the vulnerability of that is what makes it what is what makes it scary to me. All right, Jay. Uh, I also gave it an eight. I felt Freddie himself was super menacing. I felt like if I was in Jesse's position, I would uh, I'd probably be terrified. I mean, I already have nightmares to begin with, but the fact that they're um, What's the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The fact that a demon is is helping enhance all that just would really fuck with me. So I gave it an eight. All right, we move on to entertainment. I gave entertainment an eight. This is a this one is a pretty easy to watch movie for me. Jesse is just entertaining throughout the entire movie, and Freddie is just fucking vicious. So it like. It feels like it hits both sides of the spectrum, so I'm. Uh, it's always going to be entertaining. Alex, go ahead. Yeah, I gave entertainment a ten. I'm uh, pretty entertained by this. It, I don't know. It doesn't really um, miss on any level for me. I like the goofy stuff is majorly entertaining. I like. Um, I'm entertained by the relationship of Grady and. Jesse, I'm entertained by the dad, by the bird that explodes in their living room. That's pretty entertaining, as stupid <laughs> as it is. Uh, you know, uh, the pool scene's majorly entertaining and so iconic. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, just the ending really kind of falters for me. But uh, that's probably the only not entertaining. Once you get past those two dogs with the human faces, I'm just not entertained anymore. So, uh, But still, I give it a 10 because I don't really... I'm able to get over things like that, like with the Alice thing in the beginning of Friday too. Like I'm, you know, I can't let that hurt how I feel about a movie as a whole. So I can Kenneth. 
Go ahead. I gave it an eight. I mean, for the most part, it's entertaining. I mean, you know, there are there there are times where I, I probably wouldn't be as entertained by it, but overall, I mean, it's it's a fun watch. It really is, and and Freddy's just fucking creepy as shit in this one. So yeah, I'm generally entertained by this. All right, Jay. Eight. Uh, pretty much what you guys said. Um, it's just it's most of it is is fairly entertaining to watch. Especially uh, Robert England's performance. Fair enough. All right, we move on to rewatchability. I gave this an eight. Also, I think there is so much to pull from this movie after every rewatch. Um, like I didn't even catch the mental issues thing on the last time I watched it when we reviewed it for the podcast, and and, and this one I've seen it all over the movie. So. I feel like once you watch it a couple times and get past the homosexuality part of it, uh, that that is the hang-up for most people, there's so much more to dig into it. And I feel like the next time I watch this movie, I'll also find something more in it. So the rewatchability for this one is pretty high for me. Alex. Yeah, same here. I give it a 10 for rewatchability. It's the only nightmare I really can rewatch. Um, I can't part three is just too cheesy for me and part four is just too much of a pale lame ass version of part three so like those are the two ones that i guess people think are the ones you should rewatch all the time but no i stop here freddie is just so what he should be that the rewatchability never fades here it's it's like the encapsulation of what he was intended to be, and it's a shame that uh, that all changed. So, uh, yeah, I could rewatch this constantly. I've seen this about 40 times, so. All right, Kenneth. I gave it an eight. I mean, you know, pretty much echoing everybody else. I mean, there, there are moments where there are just things about it that I'm just like, eh, I'll pass on watching it now or something like that, or I just don't have the patience for certain spots. But overall, I mean, it's another one of those that if I catch it on TV or something like that, I'll probably sit down and watch it. So, you know. Fair enough. Jay? Uh, I gave rewatchability a seven. Um, I Since we've done the full-on episode on it and rewatching it again, and so I've watched it probably more times recently than I have in the past, um, I, I really, I really enjoy this one, and I think I'd make it more of a uh, more part of my my series rewatch than some of the other ones. All right, we move on to the final category. That's pop culture. I gave pop culture a seven, and it's primarily for three reasons. One, the quote "You're all my children now" is iconic. That. It, that's a quote that they that people say that Robert England to this day says constantly. Um, I also want to give it uh, credit for having the Freddy hand with knives coming out of the fingers because that's used in the NES game. So therefore, I find that iconic. Um, but this is not the Freddy people remember, which to me is very sad. Because this is the where I begin with the series and where I end with the series. And, and the fact that it's mostly known for the gay one and not in a good way, most people have, have luckily come around and pulled a revisionist history that they do like it. But unfortunately, this one gets a lot of hate that it shouldn't and tends to fall in the infamous category 
forwards pop culture. And I think that's really sad. But I had to take that into account. And I had to rate it a 7. Though honestly, I really want to rate it higher. I just can't bring myself to do it. Because I don't think in... If I'm comparing this in the franchise with the franchise's pop culture, most people are going to be, oh yeah, the gay one, and then dismiss it, which is just very sad to me in general. Um, I won't say any more because I'll probably cry. Alex? I give pop culture an eight. Um, It has a major effect on pop culture, like it or hate it. So I don't know if pop culture, the rating here is supposed to be just positive. Um, But at the same time, this has major followings overseas. Like, this is the the king of Nightmare on Elm Street movies uh, almost anywhere but America. So um, I probably should have rated it higher. Um, But, yeah, all all my children now, the the glove hand, you know, the the NES game, I I know all that, too. And I totally dig all that, too. Um, it's a shame that it has this stigma of the gay one and nobody will look past that. That's why when I reviewed it on Skeleton Crew, I even, I never mentioned that it was the gay one once in the entire review. Cause sometimes it's, you have to drop that shit and just say, all right, let's see what we're actually watching here instead of just, you know, oh. watching it with that was, yeah, good. Also, I was going to say, not only is that review good, but the interview you did with Mark Patton is absolutely fantastic and that's actually where i learned about how big of a following it got in european countries yeah and i even said to him do you ever are you ever tired because that movie is like like the gay population is way into the movie and they kind of make it all about him being gay whenever they meet him or talk to him or whatever and i said do you ever just wish people would just see you as mark and not the gay guy who's in this movie like, do you ever just want not want to be that one-dimensional person, you know? So uh, I think this movie deserves that second look. So I'm glad you brought that up to these guys. And, uh, yeah, so I give it an 8 pop culture. All right, Kenneth. I gave it a 10. And the reason why I oh, gave it a 10. Shit. yes. Yeah, Baby and boy. The, the reason why I gave it a 10 is because of that. Positive or negative. Stigma, whether it be the popularity that it has overseas and they don't look at it that way, or the negative stigma that it's got here in the States, it still reigns supreme just because of that. You have a point. This might be the most talked about and debated movie in the franchise. Exactly. I mean, even take your conversation that you and Alex just had and put it there. This has a huge pop culture status because... Everybody knows Freddy 2 for that reason. And the thing about it is, is in its status, it doesn't matter whether it's a negative reason or a positive reason, everybody knows for uh, knows Nightmare 2. Sorry. You know what? I, I, you know what? To the point of that, earlier today in a, in a Facebook group that's not horror-related, in fact, this is going to sound really weird, but uh, it was in an Every Time I Die group, we were talking about the uh, scenes, in, the best butt scenes in movie, and I joked, and I was like, oh, hands down, the one, the dance scene in Nightmare 2. And a bunch of people just started going, oh, yeah, that's the gay one. That's the right. gay one. That's the gay So you know what? Even in a group that's actually about a band, when I brought up that scene, I had people, 
you know, loving it, but every, some people loved it, some people hated it, but every single person that replied to it brought up the homosexuality. Right. And so the thing about it is, is even though you got people like us that look past it to the point of, you know, you looking at it from a, you know, the mental health standpoint and stuff like that and why, and, and whereas, you know, uh, three of us sitting here, it's one of our favorites in the series. It's my second favorite in the series. And Alex, it's your first and Jerry, it's the only one you like. And I can't remember where Jay stands on this one. You uh, know, I, when we're done with this whole series, I'll have to redo my list. Ooh, okay. Be interesting. Right. But at the same time, man, I mean, everybody knows Nightmare 2. Everybody does. And just because of that, it's like every it's like every person out there knowing where Jason got his hockey mask. In my personal opinion, I thought part three in the in in that series wasn't that great. But everybody knows it because he got his hockey mask in it. Just like it's everybody like knows the this. In famous Friday Five, everyone knows Friday Five because oh yeah, that's the fake Jason one, right? Right. Same thing with this man. So pop culture, it gets a ten because everybody knows it. Damn that, Kenneth, you fucking blew my mind. Uh, Jay, unfortunately, you got to follow that up, buddy. Uh, well, I'm I kind of feel the complete opposite. So <laughs> I I agree that. Everyone knows it as a horror fan. Uh, my score is a five, by the way, before I start talking about okay. it. Um, but I also feel like everything else you guys said were the people dismiss it. So they may know about it. And the reason they know may know about it is and not watch it is terrible and stupid and just misinformed. Uh, but the fact that they just don't care about it, that a lot of people skip it during a marathon is why I put it at a low score. Not my personal feelings about it, just because the way I see other horror fans talk to talk about it um, is why I gave it a score of a five. Just there's just doesn't seem to be a lot of love for it, and it doesn't really affect the franchise when you get talking about it with other people the way some of the other movies do. All right, fair enough. Well, we come down to scores. I gave Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 a 119. Jay gave it 111. Kenneth gave it 121. And Alex gave it 134. So 3 to 1. Nightmare wins. It beats Friday the 13th Part 2. I'm the only one who ranked Friday the 13th Part 2 over Nightmare. And I think it's a lot has to do with everything that can tie into the atmosphere of Friday. <clears throat> Uh, but Nightmare on Elm Street takes round two. It is the official yes! winner. So Friday the 13th, one round one. Nightmare on Elm Street, one round two. We are neck and neck here, people. Um, wow. that's And I have to say, the conversation on both of these movies has to go down as some of the best conversations I've ever had about horror films in general. But I also think that this episode may go down as a premiere episode when you want to listen to something that deals with Friday the 13th Part 2 or A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 just because I'm still blown away by some of the things said here, where the conversation went, and how, how especially, man, whew, wow. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, we want to thank... Alex for coming aboard. Alex, take a minute and give your final thoughts and pimp out whatever you want to pimp out. Oh, thanks. And thanks for having me. Um, 
Yeah, wait, real quick, though. I'm sorry. I just want to ask about the scoring. Uh, you, I rated Friday 2 139 and Nightmare 134. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. It was tied, and then I counted up everything point-wise. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Me and Alex actually said Friday the 13th Part 2. Jay and Ken said Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 point-wise. I had to add them up. Friday got a 472 and Nightmare got a 485. And that's how Nightmare on Elm Street win. I don't know how I messed that up when I literally have it written in front of me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so thank curious. you. Yeah, so no yeah, problem. Nightmare wins. Even though it was 2-2, two to two, right. Nightmare had more points. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a, definitely a great time. You know, I've talked about these Friday movies uh, ad nauseum. And at the same time, uh, especially part two. I've explored uh, multiple times in in different venues, whether commentary or in-depth review or light review or battles against other movies and stuff. So um, it's always interesting to me that you could do that so many times and then we just mix it up with different people and it's still fresh and interesting to talk about and uh, entertaining as a being a part of a conversation and stuff like that. So that was great. It, this was just as good as any of those other times to me. You guys really brought up so many interesting points and made some, some great conversation. And it was great to talk about Nightmare 2 in a form where I didn't have to defend it. Like, that was nice. Like, I, I honestly felt like I defended Friday 2 more than Nightmare 2, which is a very... Uh, that's very odd to do. Um, so it was really kind of a different night for me. So that was really fun to be a part of that, too. Um, so, um, yeah, just a great little matchup here. And thanks for having me. And uh, if you like what you heard from my end, I do the Married with Children podcast. Uh, that's the show with Al Bundy and all that good stuff from the late 80s and 90s. And uh, Jerry's on it from time to time. He's in all the beginning episodes. Um, and I have a horror podcast called The Skeleton Crew that, uh, although we don't do new shows, we have plenty to listen to, like 145 of them. Uh, so check me out in there. Yeah, especially check out his Mark Patton interview because it is amazing. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you interview Steve Dash or was that... Did you interview the guy from Friday that played Jason in Friday Part 4? I interviewed Friday 4 and Friday 6. And uh, I interviewed uh, Brooker on uh, in emails years ago, back when there was no podcasting. Gotcha. And you interviewed my favorite uh, loudmouth loud lady from Part 5. Oh, yeah. Ethel. Yep. Um, so, yeah, guys, definitely check out past episodes of Skeleton Crew. Amazing Horror Coliseum is actually based off. I got the idea from something that happened where Skeleton Crew had the Banana Laser Crew came on and they compared um, Halloween versus Friday. And that's kind of how I came up with the idea to generate how I wanted to do a show that stood out. And then it's kind of came full circle because now putting Friday against Nightmare. Now I'm almost doing the exact same show just with my own spin. So I have to give great thanks to that show uh, that Dan Chase was not on. Um, <laughs> he, he's going to kill you. He was I on know. that. Uh, yeah, that's show 88 of the Skeleton Crew. It, it's From all the feedback I've heard, 
that will go down in history as our greatest show ever. So yeah, and not wanna, just because you know. it's episode eighty-eight, and I was born in nineteen eighty-eight, and that just happens to coincide. But whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, check that out. Um, make sure you check out Kill the Cast. We have a YouTube channel. We got a Twitter. We got a Facebook group. We have a cookbook at your mom's house, in case you didn't know. She makes great pancakes. She does. We get all up on that. Uh, So check us out in all those places. Um, Jay, do you have any last words? No. I'm going to stop referring to myself in the third person next episode. Okay, that's good. We'll see if that lasts. Uh, Kenneth, (laughs) do you have any final words? Thanks for coming on the show, Alex. We always uh, we always look forward to you coming on, man. And we we appreciate uh, how you look at things when you uh, you get on there and you start talking. So we we really appreciate it, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Until we do the next horror coliseum episode, you're the only guest who has ever been on a horror coliseum episode, and you have two horror coliseums under your belt. Mm-hmm. I know. So wow. you're gonna be for probably a while the 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 only person who's been on horror coliseum twice because every other show we have planned is a different guest every episode yeah right yeah he's homie yeah it's it was great i loved exploring sleepaway camp in the same way and burning and these two it's just been uh dream shows to be guests on mm-hmm. speaking of dream shows uh the next horror coliseum will be friday the 13th part three aka part 3d and mm-hmm. a nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors uh there will probably there may no i don't think there is another i think the next episode of kill the cast will be that episode for scheduling reasons but in between there we will have a underwater kaiju from outer space podcast covering godzilla versus king Ghidorah, the 90s one with all the space time travel and androids and war and shit like that so Until then, we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Let us know in the Facebook group where you stand. Are you Friday the 13th Part 2? Are you Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2? Are you surprised Nightmare on Elm Street 2 won? Because I think that's going to be the shocker to a lot of people. You know what what they should have done? They should have had the survivors from the pool party be the mental patients in Part 3. Or they should have yeah. just not made any more movies. That would have been real cool, Jay. Hole. That's a really good idea, man. That would have been real cool. All right, we out. We out. Goodbye, guys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Never trust sluts in referee costumes. <laughs>